guys, welcome back to Masters of the Cinematic Universe, your place for all the greatest movie reviews and nonsense that you'll ever hear from three guys named Eric, Joe, and Doug. But, you know, sometimes there's a fourth guy. Yeah. Hi, my name is Alex Grandi. I'm from Copper Sound Pedals, and I'm here joining these gents to discuss another fine movie. Yes, sir. Woo. Very excited. So, Alex, you're a pedal builder, too? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> it's yeah, kind of a, a trend. Little. Just a, just a little bit of a pedal yeah. builder, right? He, he puts me and Doug to shame. Uh, <laughs> but not, we're not even in his universe, let alone We're not, solar we're not even pedal builders compared to No, him. absolutely not. We're Hacks. hobbyists. Hacks. <laughs> so we got, we got three pedal builders and one guy who doodles. I feel so Yo, left yeah. out, man. Right. Hey, Here you we need go. art, though, for your pedals? You, you got to call Eric. Oh, yeah. Eric's art is amazing, Alex. He, he's uh, He's fantastic. Yeah. Nice, yeah. No, I mean, we all contribute artistically in a different way. Exactly. That's, right. That's, it. That's it. Now, has a, have you ever um, had a pedal design just out of spite for somebody? Because <laughs> Joe's done that. <laughs> I've this done sounds, that quite a few times. This sounds like a Curb Your Enthusiasm pedal version. <laughs> yeah, the spite good. pedal. That's a good summation. <laughs> it's, so. it's like... Um, it's like uh, in Mall Rats, where it's a small price to pay for the spiting of one's enemies. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't say that I've had a, a spite a spite pedal before, but uh, <laughs> I feel like there'd be some uh, fun inside stories there. Yes, yeah. I know you you designed one for a a very uh, famous person. Mm. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> we we make a couple pedals um, for some different artists. We're working on. Um, we just uh, last week, I think. Um, sent down the next batch of our triple graph pedals that had been sold through third man records um down in nashville and detroit and i think they went live monday on uh if somebody's listening to this uh it's uh it was a few days ago and um actually i'm sorry it was friday and it was just crazy day because i think uh the triple graph had been out since september of 2020 and we're finally getting the next wave of 500 and they went in three hours uh, on Friday. Man, it was just—it <laughs> was just—it so was it's such an awesome pedal. I have the uh, the the regular Telegraph. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, and that and that's where it kind of spawned from there. You know, when we when we gave one as a gift to Jack in 2016, and um, it's been a long, crazy road, great journey. I've done a lot of podcasts um, talking about the journey. We made a. 130 page book that goes in the triple graph about the journey of it and uh it's just not stopping and it's just it's been really well received and we're super excited about it now i could have swore i saw it on saturday night live when when you played uh yes in october 2020 he played live saturday night live um bill burr was the host for that one which is cool a massachusetts comedian and jack did the performance he had the triple graph and he had all of the third man hardware stuff in yellow which was kind of cool he's never done a board like that but uh yeah it was kind of cool it was the first time i watched snl in a long time that (laughs) telly he had too man (laughs) i was all about that thing but uh eric i know he keeps saying jack when he says that he means jack white oh i thought you were talking about jack black yeah he he has a bad joke no jack black has one as well (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wait yeah. till Jack Gray gets one. Yeah, I, I, it's, <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's been f- over four years now. This um, 
So this uh, summer will be about five years since we first started talking with Third Man and Jack White about it. And we've just been so used to saying Jack, or we like to say Puppet Jack or something like that in the shop. It's been so used to saying just Jack, because around us we don't... It's like calling a relative their last name at this point. Yeah. And I talk to people, and I just feel like a fucking asshole just saying Jack. <laughs> when I was, you know, I was talking yeah, to yeah. Leo, you know, DiCaprio. <laughs> and it's like, I just feel kind of douchey, but it's like I'm just so used to it. Like I said, it's like talking... Cause we, we, we talk to all the people at Third Man by first names. We talk to them weekly, sometimes multiple times a week. We had a Skype call the other day with them. It's just, it's become such like common space for us, and the camaraderie is there. It's just like you don't really think last name, but uh, it's just been a crazy journey. No, that's amazing, man. You got some, you got some pedigree, and you should be proud of that, man. You, you know, you, you uh, listen, I'm new to guitar pedals mm-hmm. at all. And it's been a cool journey just learning from these guys. So I'm, I'm happy to have you on and, and get some knowledge. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. I will tell you this. On my board, I got a big board. And, like, <laughs> it's all crazy artwork that I save for myself that I won't give to anybody else because I want, like, to have it on my board. Mm-hmm. And the pedal that gets the most attention is the Telegraph. <laughs> I'm like, that's the only <laughs> one I didn't build. It's <laughs> like, kind of always been, you know, we joke about it. It's been... um it's it's a conversation starter. It's also yeah. kind of like a really nice business card, yep. you know. Especially because yeah. even at the end of it, it had only gone up to about eighty bucks for like a fully decked out with the toggle. It had a color of your choice. We had like twenty to thirty colors at one point, which yeah. was powdering in house and doing all those was kind of crazy. And I think we had just discontinued it a few weeks ago, and uh, I think we hit like twenty two hundred of them. And it was just kind of like looking back, it was like you know. We kind of had to do that. That was kind of like a business card. Gets our foot in the door. People notice it. And it, it's still to this day, it's like it's a very recognizable thing because most of us builders and you and Doug will know that it's like a lot of us have the same tools. We've got the same enclosures. We've got the same parts. We have all the hardware. And we mix the chemicals a little different. But then you see that and it's just it's it's different um, aesthetically on its surface. And it, it gets people uh, it gets people turning heads. Yeah, man. Yep, definitely. I got a, mine's a copper vein one, and it's so nice. clean. That's awesome, man. I appreciate it. I got a copper vein, but I don't, I don't think it's the same thing you guys are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> All right, Doug. <laughs> I'll yeah, see myself out. <laughs> Have a good night, guys. And Eric was gone. So uh, what's new with you guys? What's new with, uh, with you, Doug? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm thinking hard because... It's the same shit. I don't even know if it's a different day anymore. I think it's the same part of the day. It's not. I think it's Groundhog yeah. Day. Um, yeah, I mean, I've just you know, been working and uh, building. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm about a month out, I hope, a month or so out on the new pedal. So I've got a lot of the parts in, but Alex and I are working on some last-minute tweaks on the board. And, you know, once we get that straightened out, uh, we should be ready to go. So that's where most of the focus has been. Mm-hmm. Dude, I loved seeing the uh, the picture of your enclosures, man. Because I knew you were doing like a tombstone themed pedal. I yeah. did not know yeah. that it would be the shape of a tombstone. <laughs> yeah, right. I know, no, it's cool. I was so happy I found those and at a great price too. And then uh, Alex came up with the idea of having the the, the PCB the same shape. So I'm, I'm yeah, very that's, excited. That's pretty awesome. I yeah. didn't set my PCB game up. Like mine are, you know, they're cool and they fit a whole bunch of stuff on them, but they're not like that cool. <laughs> No, nah, nah, yeah, I get it. I mean, damn, I'm I'm so at the beginning of learning about all that stuff. So um, yeah, I I spent like four mm-hmm. years just building on like strip board before I finally gave in and learned how to use the PCP. Yeah, editor. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we've yeah. all cut our teeth on Vero and uh, learned yeah. that way, and it's <clears throat> it's a, a love hate relationship. <laughs> yes, a, it is. Love the place you came from. Hate that stuff, though. You know, it's oh god, it's, it's just, so bad. Sometimes yeah. it's nice to. It's not bad to do a throwback of like you know what I'm going to do an old school one today, and you're like, yep. that's cool. Now, if, if you, you said I have to do fifty, we're going to have right. words. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> like it's cool yeah. for testing out a circuit, but not yeah. for like producing. No, exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, the headache's not worth it. No, nah. definitely. Not, it has so. its place, though. It has its place. I need yeah. to get out of the whole custom art thing because, like, that's where like it screws me up. Because everybody wants custom art, and then like mm-hmm. I get stuck on one pedal for like a month, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I send over like fifty or sixty different like designs. Eric, you probably know about that. Oh yeah. When nobody yeah. ever likes it, they're like, "Oh, can you tweak this? Can you tweak this?" Then by the time you like get it where you think they might like it, oh, can we try something different? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I've constantly talked about it, and and I've talked, I think, with Doug when he was here yeah. before, and about kind of like the art of saying no, and when it's responsible and reasonable to take on custom stuff, and how much bandwidth you can allow for that. Because yeah. I've, I've let customers know via email. On the phone and stuff, it's like, this would be a really cool thing to do, and I'd like to do it, but it would be irresponsible of me right now to say yes, and then just take everything on, and my inbox is so backed up. It's like, oh, he was waiting for a simple thing, and it took four months. It's like, I don't, I don't want to sit on that, especially if they want to pay up front. I don't want to sit on money, and sometimes it's just yep. smarter to say no, and you're like, wait, why are we saying no to money? It's like, well, we're also saying no to that headache of a scenario and having a bad customer service experience, and most people... As we know in the pedal world, they're really cool, but it's like... You just, every once you in a while, though, you get that one guy who just <laughs> yeah. irritates the shit out of you every day. Like It's like, okay, this is going to take you know about four to eight weeks because it's custom hand-built. I'm doing the custom artwork. I'm doing everything by hand. Um, they're like, okay, cool. Two days later, hey, is it done yet? Yeah. Oh, my God. You speak in my language, brother. I mean, yeah. listen, I, like I said, I, I'm an artist, so I'll, I'll get a commission request, and great. You know, I, I, I'm not complaining. But if it's very, very complex, if it, I want a family portrait, but we're all, you know, fucking Dragon Ball Z characters. And by the way, I have eight dogs and two of them are dead. <laughs> so can you make them ghost dogs? And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, I can, yeah, I can do it. But, you know, you got to give me a little bit of time to just wrap my head around it. And what, yeah, then the next day I'd be like, so like, where are we um, at? The, the people yeah. on my podcast hate Taking Back Sunday. Can you make us look like an emo band? <laughs> oh, that that poured out of me in, a, in an evening, oh, man. See, all right, hey, can you cool. make Doug look like Flavor Flav? <laughs> <laughs> and he did. He did. It was incredible. In the clothing only. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's make sure that we make that point. Just oh, yeah, the yeah. clothing. Otherwise, it was me. Yes. <laughs> it was Doug okay. in a Flavor Flav costume. Exactly. All right. Just no the big, yeah, big clock. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Uh, wait, wait. You said clock, right? No. <laughs> well, that's no, too. I did not. Ooh, Brooke Shields. <laughs> Joe, what's uh, what's new with you, man? Uh, let's see. Um, stress. Lots of lots and lots and lots of stress lately. Uh, can't live that down. Um, uh, recently started posting on Facebook again, and uh, everyone seems yes, to be you have that. Except for the the five or six people that think that I'm trying to kill myself. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I've seen the comments. You, I'm like, just because you post something that's supposed to like encourage other people with problems doesn't mean you have problems. <laughs> uh, what else is new? Um, I've been editing podcasts like crazy because we've been recording a bunch, um, building some pedals. I got a beer fridge for my office, which is kind of nice. Uh, so I may get drunker tonight because I have easier access to the beer. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like you needed that. <laughs> yeah. Like that's right? ever stopped you. 
Um, I'm, oh, I paid off the van, so I might be getting my car soon. A nice. Car. Get okay. the Charger, I think. Cool. Yeah. And then, Eric, you got to get your Challenger so we can be uh, Dodge, bro- Dodge Bros. <laughs> yeah. I don't, we'll see. Like, right when uh, my well, midlife crisis peaks, that's when the Challenger's hold coming. Hold on. Just because you're, you're, you and, and, Eric, you and uh, Doug are Kia Rio Bros, right? Or Kia, what is it called? <laughs> is it a Rio Forte. or Forte? Kia Forte Bros. Forte, Forte yeah. Yeah. That car is bulletproof, kick. man. I hate that car so much; it just won't die. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got to visit uh, Eric the other day in Orlando, which is kind of nice. Oh, that's cool. Yep, brought a pedal to him for a friend of ours a podcast. Nice. Yep. So, good cool. stuff, man. What about you, Eric? Uh new with me. So I, I'm just getting ready for an art show tomorrow uh, at uh, Orlando brewery so that'll be i've never done an art show there before they do a big kind of monthly thing so that'll be my first time out there uh hopefully sell some prints that i've been sitting on for a while and uh see some familiar faces uh out there other than that man it's just uh same old shit just working uh drawing and trying to survive these kids man three kids going to school from home it's uh yeah, I don't envy you. I don't envy oh. you folks that have the younger ones now. Yeah, I, I, three. I got five. Yeah, you well, got five. That's your, that's your own fault. <laughs> Not it's really uh, my fault. <laughs> okay. It's what you call a beautiful disaster, man. Exactly. Yeah. With the keyword he, being disaster. He loves almost every one of them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, what, Alex, what are we doing, boys? Anyone drinking anything good? I've got a coffee drink and some water. Yeah, I'm drinking Doug said diet, he wasn't drinking. Diet Pepsi, man. I'm, yeah, I gotta be How are you going to make it to the next, the next movie, Doug? <laughs> oh, I, t- I took some Excedrin, so I'm all caffeined okay. up. <laughs> he's uh, he's going he, to go off the excitement of this movie. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Doug, we're going to do a shot there. before the next one. Oh, no, no, I'm drinking, <laughs> uh, you know, the Space Dust IP. The, uh, how do you say that? Elysian Brewing? Uh, yeah. Elysium or Elysium. something. Elysium. Something. Yeah, Tasty. I'm drink- I'm drinking some Three Daughters Cider, Key Lime Apple Cider, which is delicious. Okay. Oh, you bougie. I've already <laughs> drank two cans, um, and that wasn't since we started recording 14 minutes ago. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so this is going to be a fun night. Don't you miss a drop, Joe. <laughs> oh, no, I, don't worry. There's no chance of that happening. It's delicious. Yeah. This is, uh, you know... This is a young man's game, not an old man's game. Not an old man's game. This is, uh, this is no yeah. country for an old man. Nope. You were really on the nose with that segue. <laughs> I know. I was waiting for it to come, and you, and you, you hit it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so tonight we are doing the uh, epic tale of No Country for Old Men. Um, this is a cool movie. There's a lot going on with not a lot of words. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's a, you know, and that's not a bad thing. That, to, to me, that, that is a good thing. Um this movie was written by Joel and Ethan Cohen. They wrote the screenplay based on the novel by Cormac McCarthy. Um, you may know Cormac McCarthy from a even more depressing movie called The Road. Mm-hmm. Um, that movie, I can't even describe how soul-sucking that one is. <laughs> In a good way. It's a great movie, but it is very depressing. Um, is it more soul-sucking so, than The Room? Uh, yes. Wow. Soul-sucking, yes, but it's, you know, you can't, it can't be compared because it is a great movie. Um, Viggo Mortensen, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, um, yeah, so it's a Coen Brothers movie. Um, I also personally love 
pretty much everything the Coen Brothers have ever done, except Blood Simple. I didn't dig that one, but uh, mm. Every, everybody loves the Coen Brothers, man, and they want to work. I, I was reading about this I movie. Know. And I forget who it was who auditioned who basically said, "Yeah, I would kneel on broken glass to work with the yes. Coen Brothers." Yep, exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, my God, man! They're supposed to be just cool dudes. Besides their genius as writers and directors, they're supposed to be like really cool, down to earth folks, and people just want to work with them. You know? Didn't Didn't Bill Murray do the Garfield movie because he thought he was working with the Coen Brothers? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even, that's maybe it's possible, but um, that would be pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so I mean, they've done. They did Fargo, Old Brother, Where Art Thou, The Big Lebowski, yeah, and you know, we we could list them all, and you'd know them all. But you know, those are those are three big ones. So they have done quite a few. You know, Miller's Crossing, films. Burn After Reading. You know, the list goes on. Um, mm-hmm. These these the, these brothers, the Coen Brothers, are the real deal, and they're definitely a, a couple of my movie heroes. Um, the Italian? interesting, what's that? Italians. Yes, they're Italians, Joe. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are Italian. Very so we're good. doing a Coen Brother movie about the consequences of finding a large sum of money in the middle of nowhere. Yes. And it's not oh. Fargo. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so before we dive in real quick, um, the, watching this movie, it is definitely a Coen Brothers movie. If you're a fan of their work, you can see their fingerprints all over this. But... Contrary to that point, they lifted it almost directly word for word from the book. The book actually has more dialogue in it than the movie does. I would hope so. And, and they pur- well, yeah, but they purposely retracted the dialogue to let the story be told visually. Um, but even the funny scenes in it are in the book. And mm-hmm. you know, I'll mention it as we go through it. But even the few funny scenes or the comic relief scenes. I would say I was saying to myself before I realized this, before I read about the book, that you know it's typical Coen Brothers comedy, but mm-hmm. it was Cormac McCarthy who wrote the comedy. They just took it and put their little spin on it. So I, I found that interesting. Um, it's actually I think it was or still is the longest length in in time Coen Brothers movie. It's the it was the first one over two hours for them because mm-hmm. they do like to do things succinctly mm-hmm. and to the point. Um, and yeah, so uh, the last bit before we get rolling here is the movie takes place in 1980. Um, so, you know, it, when you watch it visually, you'll see that. But it, it's a ni- it takes place in 1980, even though it was released in November of uh, 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way we open this movie, it's best to just let uh, main character Sheriff Ed Tom Bell played by the great Tommy Lee Jones, uh, bring us into this one. So, roll it, Joe. I was sheriff of this county when I was 25 years old. Hard to believe. Grandfather was a lawman. Father, too. Me and him were sheriffs at the same time, him up in Plano and me out here. I think he's pretty proud of that. I know I was. Some of the old-time sheriffs never read more a gun. A lot of folks find that hard to believe. Jim Scarborough never carried one. That's the younger Jim. Gaston Borkins wouldn't wear one up in Comanche County. I always like to hear about the old-timers. Never missed a chance to do so. You can't help but compare yourself against the old-timers. Can't help but wonder how they'd operated these times. 
There's this boy I sent to the electric chair at Huntsville here a while back. My arrest and my testimony. He killed a 14-year-old girl. Papers said it was a crime of passion, but he told me there wasn't any passion to it. Told me that he'd been planning to kill somebody for about as long as he could remember. Said if they turned him out, he'd do it again. Said he knew he was going to hell. Be there in about 15 minutes. I don't know what to make of that. I surely don't. The crime you see now, it's hard to even take its measure. It's not that I'm afraid of it. I always knew you had to be willing to die to even do this job. But I don't want to push my chips forward and go out and meet something I don't understand. A man would have to put his soul at hazard. You'd have to say, okay. So it's a feel-good movie. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Definitely. They're, they're getting the they're getting the beers and the ice chest, and they're gonna have a party. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually thinking about it because I had in preparation of this. Besides watching the movie, taking notes, I mentioned to you, Doug. It took me four hours to watch a two-hour movie <laughs> with all these notes, and I had seen it so many times. But I was also watching interviews with the Coens and the cast and everything, and and a lot of the book how they condensed it because they've condensed it because obviously for dialogue time and all all of that stuff i guess a lot of the there's a lot in the book of ed tom bell kind of just recalling stuff and and saying things and uh, of that type of nature which you could definitely hear in his opening monologue and obviously you can't put more of that throughout the movie if you will i mean you could if it were if this movie was deeper in the noir genre, which it is to an extent because they trade countryside western stuff for motel and hotel scenes that are dark, but you definitely can tell like there's going to be if there was more of that in the um, movie it might take you out of it a little bit more for all of those monologues and stuff and again the compression is kind of what they did. I remember years ago when I had seen this, actually probably for the first time in 2007, and I was reading about it, they said, what was the process of writing the screenplay from the book? And the Coen brothers said, one of us held the book up, the other one typed. (laughs) (laughs) Like, one guy would hold up the spine, the other one would type, because there's very little stuff that they added. They've added their flair and stuff in it, but there's very little they added from it. Right, right. So we definitely get that monologue, which has a cool... It's When we were talking before, before, the show even kicked off about the genre where you say like classic western there's neo-western there's all of these revisionist there's all these different genres of movie and this definitely has that western landscape feel um where they actually shot all of those parts in texas because they did do some i believe in nevada and new mexico but it's got that great classic it's just landscapes you know right it's a great opener for it exactly with the, uh, with the overdub with um ed tom yeah. yeah, this is one of those period movies that doesn't get hung up on the period. Right. You know what I mean? Like, the, you do these 80s movies, and it's like, oh, let's have a girl with a side ponytail in there for some reason. It's <laughs> yeah, like, it no, no, no. It doesn't turn into Stranger Things? No. Yeah, exactly. it doesn't turn into Stranger Things. It's very, you know, uh, just landscapes and beauty, and, you know, you've got your period-appropriate props and stuff, but they don't take over the scene. 
Yeah. No, in, in in some of the interviews I had seen, there was some behind-the-scenes stuff. In 1980, so that had just barely broken into the 80s, and the Coen brothers are very great about, like, having it be from that century. Like, his hat probably has the stitching from that year type of shit, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah but um, But one of the, um, I believe it was um, one of the ladies that was doing, like, the costume design was mentioning, like, where this was taking place it was 1980, and all, this, all the vehicles... It's tough because it's not incredibly older, vintage, like 40s, 50 type of thing, and it's not modern. It's that weird in between. Yeah. It's 80s. And she was mentioning, too, like, it's not straight, like you said, side ponytail, leggings type of thing. It's They're still kind of dressed from the 70s, and they haven't kind of caught up to yes, that fashion of exactly. the 80s type of thing. So exactly. it's And again, it's its own beast, if you're talking West Texas, I feel like, versus like a major city. Oh, it, yeah, it definitely embraces that. There's no question about it. Um, so, yeah, you, so, so Alex, you mentioned that, you know, the, the narration plays over scenes, and, and um, Eric, you mentioned it too, over scenes of the West Texas landscape. Um, it finishes with a man who we do not know yet uh, being escorted to a police cruiser by a deputy uh, in handcuffs. Um, we hear that at the end of the narration. We hear his footsteps, and he's being put in the car and brought in. And uh, that brings us to our, our first real scene in the movie. Uh, so we're in a local sheriff's office, and the uh, deputy's on the phone. He's talking to his boss. He's talking to the sheriff, letting him know about the arrest he just made. Um, he's describing this this oxygen tank, so to speak, that he that he we, we actually see being put into the front seat of the, the cruiser, in the earlier scene, um, he's trying to describe this oxygen tank because he has no idea what it is. He mentions it's for emphysema or something. He's just not sure what it is. And all the while he's talking on the phone, we see this arrested man <clears throat> on a bench behind him uh, wriggling around to get his, his handcuffed arms from behind his back to the front. Um, and just as the deputy hangs up the phone after saying, I've got this under control, um, the man wraps his handcuffed hands and arms around the deputy's neck um this struggle is real and it's fucking brutal i mean it's it's as realistic as you can get um and the look on and we'll just say it now this man's name is anton shigura um it's played by javier bardin uh who won an oscar for this role um, because he was that good in this thing for a supporting actor. Did you say sugar? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sugar. Sugar. Yeah. Sugar. Yeah. Um, actually, a made-up name from uh, Cormac. Yes, exactly. Um, and it's funny because I, I read a little a little ditty about you know the two main you know the the main characters, the protagonist, Llewellyn Moss, who we're going to meet shortly, and and Anton Sugar. Their last their names. So Llewellyn is a very androgynous name. And Shigura sounding like sugar. So it's like, it's almost a play on, you know, the nature of these two men uh, in a way. And, and that's Cormac McCarthy. I mean, that's, that's his genius as a writer. Mm -hmm. um, the look on uh, Anton's face when he's choking this deputy out is horrifying. The bulging eyes, the, the, the veins popping, and that haircut, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> yeah which we'll see more easily later in the film. But uh, it's horrifying, and it's realistic. It's, it's fucking frightening. There's no other way to put it. Um, I also read another quick thing about the fact that there was a group of uh, psychiatrists who studied 400 movies 
and identified 126 psychopaths with, with psychopathic characters in these movies they studied. And uh, Javier Bardem's portrayal of Anton was labeled as the most clinically accurate portrayal of a psychopath. <laughs> okay. And this coming from an actor, from a man who didn't want to do this role because he, he shied away from violence in, in the roles that he did. He didn't mm-hmm. like it. Or holding guns. Yeah, holding guns, everything. Um, and he also doesn't drive. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, he doesn't drive. He also, here's the kicker, he doesn't speak much English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he, I think at one point he said to the Coens, like, are you sure I'm the person for this? Because I don't drive and I don't like guns. And the training for guns was, like, very limited. Granted, it's it's a movie, but, you know, he had all these things where you're like, okay, you just knocked yourself out of this role in three locations, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, in the end, he is the first actor to win the best actor, best supporting actor role, uh, got an Academy Award, a Screen Actors Guild, a BAFTA, a Golden Globe and a Critics Choice. First time it ever happened. Okay, (laughs) was for this role and deservedly so. Um, Yeah, yeah. no no joke. He is no joke in this role. I I uh, I one of one of my favorite quotes from it would. Uh, was in regards again because people always talk about his hair from this movie and how it was and I think one of the first quotes I read was he said well I guess I'm not getting laid for three months (laughs) (laughs) well that's great that he committed so it wasn't a wig you know yeah no no that was that was his hair and people always asked about the hair and there was one interview where they said to him so how did they you know what did they do with your character how did they figure out your character and he jokingly said I think uh they figured out a haircut first. You know? <laughs> but actually, and uh, I believe it was Tommy Lee Jones that brought that haircut because Tommy Lee Jones is a native of the county where Llewellyn's character is from. So um, Josh Brolin, who plays Llewellyn Moss, had to kind of live up to that. And I believe the Coens said that Tommy Lee Jones had come to them with um, some literature or something that's based in um, the county that Tommy Lee Jones is from in Texas. And it was... From whatever period the book was, it was a haircut reminiscent of that time. So, as nobody should be surprised listening to this, the Coen brothers had a reason for something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so, after the struggle is done and the deputy is, is dead, uh, we see who we will find out is Anton. Uh, it's, sort of an, it's a cool overhead shot of him going to the sink uh, to clean up his bloody hands. I mean, he's, he's injured himself. Um, you know, because the handcuffs are around his wrist and he was just pulling. So he's blooded himself the sh- up. The shot I like, though, is the boot scratches on the floor. Oh, dude, yeah. I was going to bring that up. I mean, it's... A, it's Rough stuff. You want to talk about the Coen brothers' uh, attention to detail. Like, that's something that if, if they hadn't done that, it wouldn't have made a difference. Yeah. But the fact mm-hmm. that they did made it worse. Not worse, but, I mean, better, but more mm-hmm. realistic Correct. is the bottom line. Yeah. They, they didn't have I- to do that. But I'm gl- I'm glad that you brought that up too, Joe, because I had sent Doug my notes, and I realized watching through again that one of the not a, a character of this thing, but something that they focus on a lot without actually really saying it too often is boots in yes, this thing. The and whole, just yes, to movie just is to boots. warn anybody about listening to this, I'm going to talk about boots a lot, okay? <laughs> because that All because right. it is the first time you see it, and the way that two of the main characters and all three of the main characters generally 
there's a lot of stuff around boots. I'm going to stop there so Doug can continue, but I'm just letting you know. Yes. We'll be talking about boots a lot. Boots. And, and yeah, lots of lots of boots, definitely. Uh, Let's just say one of these characters might have infinity boots. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Very true. I'm going to call him Country Thanos, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, so again, yeah, those scuff marks on the floor. Uh, it, it's a brutal scene. It sets, it sets up the rest of the movie. It sets up how much of an actual psychopath Anton is. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we'll learn that he's got a code, though. It, 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 he's a very organized psychopath with a set of rules that he follows, um, and it's really cool. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, so we move on from there. Um, we see a car driving on a desert road, and immediately here. Uh, some sirens kick on, so this car is getting pulled over. Um, so, Joe, roll that clip, please. What's this about? Step out of that car, please, sir. What is that? I need you to step out of the car, sir. What is that for? Will you, will you hold still, please, sir? Yeah, so <laughs> um, that is a, it's another brutal scene and another demonstration of how insane Anton is. Um, he puts a mechanism up to this poor guy's head and uh, it's attached to that air canister and he presses a button and we'll, we'll learn later exactly what that is, um, but it kills the guy, you know, instantly, right on the spot. Um, in we quickly learn he did it just to get a car. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he escaped the sheriff's station by using the cruiser, but he knows he can't sustain that. Mm-hmm. He needs another car, and this is his method. Um, you know, he's methodical in his ways. Um, he, he, again, he's got a code that we'll come to learn, and he just, you know, this is what he does. Um, so, yeah, it, just, it sets the tone even more. Um, that is also a brutal weapon. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. The the sound of it was is achieved by um they recorded like a pneumatic like nail gun. Yeah, that's <laughs> what it sounds like. I got a funny story about that. So oh, the great. Other, so uh last weekend I was helping build this uh gigantic monstrosity in my, my parents back my mom's backyard that they're gonna park their boats and RVs and shit in. And we were putting the trusses up and I had a nail gun up there as I was shooting them in and um there was one I could just barely reach, so I leaned over real close. So I had the nail gun right next to my ear, and the little piece that shoots out the the the, the extra air after it shoots shot directly into my ear, and I thought I went oh, deaf for like two no. days. Oh shh! So oh, then dude, I, you're lucky. Yeah, it was bad. Oh man, I thought I was gonna go deaf for like two straight days, but then it finally like kind of went back. But sure. I turned the um because on the back you could turn the air like discharge the other way. So I turned it the other way, and I wasn't paying attention. We switched sides. I went to shoot another nail in. 
And it was this time it was facing straight up, and it hit the bell on my hat and flipped my hat like seven feet in the air. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like something out of a cartoon. I was going to say, that's like a Three Stooges bit. That's yeah, great. it was pretty funny. Okay, you like Clark Griswold up there, man. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Like. I'll bet you that was a day to remember. Ah, I, see what, I see what you did there, <laughs> dickhead. <laughs> Sorry, we'll move on. Yeah. Oh, and apparently I might I might be going on Tom and Dan pretty soon just to talk about my failures. No, oh, excellent. <laughs> my failures as a man. My uh, failures as quitting something before it became big. That's a great. That's great. <laughs> <sighs> All right. So uh, yeah, so that's a brutal scene again. Just demonstrates Anton's uh, capacity for you know being a psychopath. I mean, there's no yeah. question about it. Um, so now we. Uh, we move on and we meet our protagonist, uh, Llewellyn Moss. Yep, or uh, Country Thanos. <laughs> country Thanos, because he's played by Josh Brolin. Um, this movie was almost Josh Brolin's adult coming out party, right? His first role as an actor was in The Goonies, and he was a kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he never, he never didn't work. He always worked. And he was known as, you know, James Brolin's son. But he also had a, a rough teenage and early adulthood section of his life with you know getting in trouble and drinking and boozing and drugging um this was sort of his coming out party um and you know sort of like robert downey jr you know uh in that sense um so this definitely built him up for the roles to come and Mm -hmm. there are many too many to even list but Mm -hmm. cool dude um we get a really cool opening scene in that we are the opening shot in this scene is through the scope of a rifle, a hunting rifle, and we are looking at a herd of, and I had to look this up because I knew they weren't deer. Uh, they're called pronghorn or American antelope, yeah. um, prevalent in the southwest of the United States, um, among other places. I don't know. I'm not a hunting guy, um, but yeah, we're, we're looking at that herd through the scope. Uh, we cut to you know a view uh, of uh, Llewellyn. And, um, you know, he's looking through it and he's sighting up the buck. And it's funny because through this movie, you're going to see, you know, his habit of talking to himself. He says things out loud to himself, um, whether to chastise himself or to, you know, push himself to do something or or anything. In this case, he just whispers, sort of half whispers, you hold still. He's talking to the buck. Um, He fires the rifle. He hits the buck, but it's not clean. Uh, You know, he mutters, ah, shit. Because uh, now he knows he's got to go and track this this buck down because he, he needs to finish the job. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I lost my note. There we go. Um, you, have a, you have a Marvel villain in this movie and you have a DC villain. Yeah, exactly. And a DC and villain co- is, is Two-Face. And this coin flip's <laughs> yeah. involved, too. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Um so, really cool thing, and I saw this in your notes, Alex, and it's funny because I, I saw it in your notes after I saw it in the film uh-huh. about the boot. So, yep. what's, what about the boot in this scene? So, it, this is probably the first time I've known, again, this is my journey through boots for this time watching through it. But, <laughs> yeah, so, at this marker when we first meet Llewellyn, I didn't notice it probably because it's kind of, it blends in with, the, um, with the, his surroundings, but he's got his boot draped over the rock ledge while he's firing his rifle. Um, and this is where I was noting, I think it kind of foreshadows his boots later on. In uh, later scenes, we'd already seen the scuff marks from with uh, Anton uh, in that deputy. Yeah. Um, and this one is the first time. Now, this is where 
I think it's also a respect for the boots type thing. This is where it's going to start, and I think it's also him kind of using it as a tool. Um, yeah, exactly, to stabilize the rifle on the rock, exactly. And also, honestly, to, to he's got respect for the rifle. He doesn't want to scratch the rifle on the, the rock, mm-hmm. but the rifle is a tool to him, but he's using another tool in his boot in order to stabilize yep. that, so I thought that was cool. He's, he's also... He he also we also he also sets things up as being a very careful man in mm-hmm. that he picks up the shell casing mm-hmm. and puts it in his pocket. First, you know, to not he doesn't want to litter, it's the environment, but he's also basically removing traces of himself at that scene. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. Um so I thought that was really just again, little details. This is what the Cohen brothers do and that's, this is why I love the them. The sign says take nothing but pictures, leave nothing but pr- footprints. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Now he's a philosophizer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've just been to a lot of national parks. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's cool. So uh, we now move to Llewellyn, um, and it's funny. I, I didn't want to type his name out, so my notes, it's just L. <laughs> I literally, <laughs> I had in my uh, computer copy-paste. Like, paste was Llewellyn. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I have, in my notes, I use that for play clip. Because uh-huh. I have it in bigger text in red. Yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't do it. So that's why it was just L. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's L. It, 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 it's, uh, it's E.T. For, for Ed Tom. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's C.J. for Carla Jean. Yep. Anyway, uh, so, so Llewellyn, is, is, he's tracking the buck. Um, you know, he's following. And he, he, you can tell he's got tracking skills, partly because of his upbringing, partly because we find out later he's in Vietnam, things like that. Um, he spots a blood trail, but it's going in a direction different from what he knows that the buck headed in Um, but he follows it and for a short while and then in the distance he sees a dog limping Um, and it's it's odd that the it's the dog it's almost like the dog is human I mean he looks back over his shoulder at Llewellyn in in a knowing way it's sort of like it's very foreboding (laughs) well I guess he got tired of chasing Rick Moranis (laughs) yes exactly there is only zool um so yeah so it's really it's really uh crazy and um i don't know alex do you have something about this one too yeah i i do um good i think because the the dog definitely he's kind of limping around and you'll notice in the movie the dog looks over his hindquarters back towards llewellyn and the reason i mention that is because it'll come back up later with a piece of trivia that I have, but I just want to put that out there. All right, cool. Yes, that's what, that's it. So, um, he, Llewellyn, you know, the dog's going away. The dog's going the other direction, but Llewellyn turns around and he walks back the way he feels the dog came and he gets to the top of a ridge. And when he looks down into the, the small valley below this ridge, he sees a grouping of five, you know, SUVs, five trucks. Um, and there's bodies littered everywhere. Even from a distance, you can see these bodies sprawled out. So some, you know, nefarious shit went down, um, and he is now, of course, intrigued. Um, Now we head to what I call, in quotes, the scene, meaning this is the crime scene that's referred to many times in this movie. Um, Llewellyn, you know, walks down the ridge. He he approaches this scene. Um, He's got his rifle cocked and ready on his hip uh, because he doesn't want to be surprised by anything. Again, he's a careful man. He knows he's, he's, you know... Self-preservation is number one for him, and he's good at it. So. There's also a tracking shot at his feet with boots. Yes, exactly. Yep, yep. Um, there is obviously, you know, lots of carnage. There's even a dead dog there, which gets referenced quite a few times in yep. the movie. Um, 
it's obvious that this is a drug deal gone bad. Um, you know, Llewellyn starts investigating the scene. He gets to a truck. He opens the passenger door, and he finds the the, the driver still in there. Is in there. He's gravely wounded, but he's still alive. Um, he 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 keeps asking for water for agua. Um, so we now, you know, we know it's a drug deal. It looks like a Mexican cartel because uh, we are right on the border. This is, you know, West Texas right on the border, southwest Texas right on the border. Um, so, you know, Llewellyn doesn't speak any Spanish, uh, but, you know, he tells the, the man he has no water. Um, goes around the back of the truck, lifts up a tarp, and sees the drugs. The, the drugs are still there. There's a lot of drugs. Um, he goes, actually really quickly, when he sees the man, he takes the, the machine pistol that's on the seat and then the clip from the man. Mm-hmm. As much to protect him from the guy maybe picking it up as for him to have, you know, an extra weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes back to talk to the man because, you know, he quickly deduces and mentions to, to the man in the truck that uh, he wants to know where the last man standing is. Because there must have been one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, it makes sense. You got a thing like that. Everybody's dead. One guy probably made it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could see the wheels were already turning in Llewellyn's head with this. You know, he, he kind of knows what it is. He doesn't necessarily know he's going to find money, but he might find something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely. Um, I'd also like to point out, I had my notes. Um, this is only the second, like, lines spoken from Llewellyn, and he's already been on screen for four minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Which is just kind of pointing out the fact that a lot of this, you know, uh, uh, Josh Brolin said a lot of the times, whether it's a crutch or a good thing, you depend on dialogue. And one of his main reservations and concerns with taking this role was the lack of dialogue. And you had to do a lot without having it. So he didn't have it to depend on. A lot of scenes just turn out being, hmm, or saying yeah. stuff to himself. Yep. Because... You're afraid you'll be boring without saying anything, but he's still good at being engaging. Yes, exactly. And I think that goes back to my point about this being his sort of coming out party or his re-coming out party as an actor because he did so well with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 it showed the world, but I think it showed him as an actor that he could do this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Brolin has an intensity in this, in this movie. Even when it's quiet, you know, yep. he says a yep. lot with his eyes and, you know, he's inevitable, so... Yeah, exactly. it's almost like he snapped his fingers and 50% of his dialogue disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> nice, or, I like or that. Or clicked his boot hills. <laughs> I like that. Yep. Uh, so we move on, and uh, uh, Llewellyn is now tracking, quote, the last man. He's, he's mm-hmm. looking for him. Um, again, his tracking skills are on display here. Um, he, we, we move to him, again, talking to himself out loud. In this case, he's projecting what the last man standing is thinking. You know, he drops a couple of lines. You stop to watch your back. And, yeah, you, you, you're you going to shoot my dumb ass. Because, <laughs> you know, he's out in the open. I mean, he knows that. Um, you know, and he lastly says, but if you stop, you're going to stop in the shade. Um, so he, he, he progresses forward. And then, you know, in the distance he finds, you know, up on this little ridge, he finds a couple of trees he sees. And uh, through the binoculars, he spots the guy. Um, he's sitting against the... Um, the tree. Um, Llewellyn watches him for what we assume is quite a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, just being careful. He knows he cannot just walk up on this guy because he doesn't know what's going to happen. Um, I will say when you when you see this guy, you get the, a nice boot shot. If we're talking boots. Yep. Yes. Talk- yes, two boots oh, yeah. in the shade. Exactly. exactly. Like those curvy boots. 
Mm-hmm. Kirby boots with yeah, holes cr- in them. He looks like zombie them. boots. Exactly. They were uh, they were well worn. These boots. Yeah. Um, Eric's on the boot train. Am I right, Eric? Oh yeah. <laughs> we, yes. we booting, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he finally he finally you know feels it's it's safe enough to go investigate closer. So he gets up to the tree, and uh, sure enough, the guy's you know he's dead definitely. Um, but just to be safe, you know, Llewellyn takes his pistol. Very nice pistol at that. Um, uh, he takes that gun, puts it in in, in his back. Uh, I think in, it was in, shiny. Yeah, exactly. That was a nice one. That was definitely a nice. I one. didn't look to see what it was, but I'm sure. I I don't know guns, so of course I, you know, you're from New York. You don't want to have guns there. <laughs> Listen, I've sh- I've shot my share of guns. Hey, me and Eric stand our ground down here. <laughs> I'll, I'll bet you do. Eric, do you have Eric, guns? No, I'm a lover, man, not a fighter. I was going to say, oh, Eric ah, Eric Cowers in a car when a guy carjacks Yeah, yeah. I just, I'll let, I'll let you, yeah, that's right. I carjacked you. Just, right. he, didn't, he didn't stand anything. He no, I just freeze. pissed some stuff, but he didn't Don't worry, stand I have anything. my forty five on me if you did have a gun. No, no, great. Yeah, that would be great. I'd be I'd be hosting the show alone because you two fucking numbnuts. <laughs> I've been arrested or been dead. In a prank. So That would be like the best Florida story ever. Although it would have been the hostess's fault. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so Llewellyn finds the guy dead. He grabs his gun, and then he sees what we'll call the case. Um, he opens this case up, and it is full of money, lots and lots of money. We don't have any idea yet. We will find out, uh, but there's tons of cash in there. So those wheels that were spinning and turning at the, at the scene, uh, you know, that comes to fruition very quickly for Llewellyn. And, again, he's already thinking ahead. You know, he, he he has supreme confidence in himself. As simple a man as he is, he has supreme confidence in his ability to get away with this. Okay? Um, does anybody know a quick bit of trivia about that case? I actually don't. No? Nope. That case is the case that carried the money in Fargo. Oh, nice. <laughs> that makes Same sense. prop. That Same makes prop. Sense. It, it, it is, of the two movies, I guess those are the two... Oh, yes. that's of of their movies. That's the one that you could close as closely associate with. No, country. yes, exactly. Yeah. Theme and everything. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, that's the same case. Okay, um, that no. Now you now that you say it, I'm mad at myself. <laughs> I'm picturing yeah. Steve Buscemi out by the fence in yes. the snow, digging with that snow sh- that snow brush. Yes, to bury it. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Do they, they do anything with the Fargo TV show on FX? Oh yeah, no, they they produced that. Okay, because I love that yeah. fucking show. Oh, I that show is great. Yeah. Yet, but uh, but every season of that show has been good so far. That yeah. um, the reason they got on board with that is that show is because Noah Hawley wrote it, and they have so much respect for Noah Hawley. He's a younger writer, but he's a a genius. Obviously, based on these seasons of Fargo, the guy is a, free, a certified genius, yeah. and they respected what he presented so much that they were instantly on board with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if the case used in the opening of the series is the same case. It looks the same. Who knows? Maybe it is, but in the movies, that's the link between the two. I want to like go to a dog track with the FX executives because they know how to pick winners. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like oh, every show good. on FX is a fucking mm-hmm. winner. I don't know any bad FX shows. Nope, there aren't any. There really I'd like the Coen Brothers to make a movie where somebody finds a lot of money and nothing but good things happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. really. The lottery winner. And yep, they live happily ever after. Ever after. <laughs> we'll yeah, we'll call exactly. it Joe Exotic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, so Llewellyn's packed everything up, um, and he goes home. Uh, he lives in a trailer park with his wife, uh, Carla Jean. Uh, so we see him stashing the guns under the trailer, and he heads inside. 
Carla Jean, uh, played by Kelly McDonald, who I first saw and fell in love with in Trainspotting. Um, she's also in Boardwalk Empire. Fantastic in that show. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she's also the voice of the little girl in Brave. Mm-hmm. Yes, she is. She is. And she almost didn't get that role. It was a coincidence. She was in New York while they were casting it, and her, her agent told her, just go. She shows up with her thick Scottish accent, and the Coen brothers, yeah, Coen brothers happened to be there that day, and they were completely perplexed as to why she was there, and so was she. She said, my agent told me to come. And they had no intention because they didn't think she could do it because of the accent. But mm-hmm. she quickly sat down and laid out that South Texas accent, and they fell in love with her. And mm-hmm. the rest is history. See, I think there was another show I knew her from better. Um, was it uh, Boardwalk Empire? Oh, yeah, you know, yes. Yeah, she was She was Nucky's, like, you know, sort of on-again, off-again adversary, lover, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she that's, was, the, that's the show I remember her yes, the most. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm an older gent, Joe, so train spotting for me. <laughs> Um, all right, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna play a clip that demonstrates the relationship between these two, which we'll, I'll talk about more after because I love it so much. Go ahead, Joe. Mm-hmm. What's in the satchel? It's full of money. That'll be the day. Where'd you get the pistol? At the getting place. Did you buy that gun? No. We found it. Willing. What? Quit your hollering. What'd you get for that thing? You don't need to know everything, Carla Jean. I need to know that. Keep running that mouth of yours, I'm gonna take you in the back and screw you. Big talk. Keep it up. Fine. I don't want to know. I don't even want to know where you've been all day. That'll work. That'll work. Yeah, that scene is, I almost get choked up thinking about it in the sense that their love for each other is so obviously laid out in such a short, quick, simple dialogue. They completely love and trust each other and you can tell that and that's, you know, it's, the Coen Brothers, and that's more so Cormac McCarthy's writing. Um, I have to say, personally, it reminds me of my, my wife, Erica, and I, because we, we do that sort of shit all the time. Like, she'll say something, and I'm like, what are you saying to me? You know, like, in the most sarcastic shit like that. It just, it reminds me. I think that's why I, I connected to it, because it reminds me of the relationship I have with my wife. So um, I, I just can't get enough of these two. And, and, and that's why I wanted to play that clip, because it's just, to me, it's fantastic. It's also the kind of first comic relief. Yes, that, yeah. you, that you see yep. in this w- movie, which opens up with a a banger and a narrative and yeah. darkness and all that. But it's it's got that great piece of comic relief, which feels Cohen brother written. That's what I meant. Yeah, that's what I meant earlier in our conversation. Yes, it feels that it's not, but th- I think that's why they connected so hard to this book and then wanted to do it because it reminded them of them. You know, mm-hmm. um, yep. yeah, and really quickly. So Carla Jean is the only character in the movie that actually talks directly to all three main characters. True. Yes. Okay. And, and that's yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, that's something to keep in mind. I want to point something out to the viewers and Eric as well. Probably Eric because he's only seen it once. But yeah, continue. Yeah. 
so we cut to um, Llewellyn and Carla Jean in bed. Uh, Llewellyn can't sleep. He's laying there. And once again, talks out loud. He just says, all right. Um, he gets up and goes into the kitchen, dressed, goes into the kitchen to fill up a gallon jug of water. Carly Jean comes in and asks him what he's doing, and his comment is, I'm fixing to do something. <laughs> you know, Something dumber than hell, but I'm doing it. Yeah, anyway. exactly, exactly. Uh, so there's more banter between the two, and you know, I love it. Llewellyn ends the conversation by saying, if I don't come back, tell my mother I love her. And she just says, looks at him and goes, but your mother's dead. He goes, all right, well, then I'll tell her myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's you just, can tell he's definitely not, he's not, he's thinking about what's going to be going on and he's kind of just going through the motions. Yes, exactly. You know? yeah. Exactly. So Unless there's more there, I've been trying to think about if there's more to that dialogue of him saying to tell mother I love her type of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, unless he was talking about Carla Jean's mom, but you, you find out later on like, <laughs> like he's not the biggest fan of her. No, and you know? vice versa. Yeah, she is a unique <laughs> so, woman. Uh, yeah, Mrs. Crass. This was my Han Solo. Uh, well, then I'll see you in hell. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it just you know it also lends itself to just the the cute nature of their relationship and the dialogue that they throw back and forth. It, it who knows it it could be even a previous joke between the two. Like he could go mm -hmm. off to work and say the same thing, and it, yep. it's basically just a call and response that they have because you know that's what they the way they talk. Um, so yeah, so he's, he's back in his truck. He quickly checks the map and he heads out. Um, the bottom line is he's, you know, he, he's felt guilty now. He left that man in the truck who asking for water and that's what this water is for. He's bringing water back to the, to the, to the dying man, uh, just cause he feels guilty cause he is an honorable man. I mean, he looks out for mm -hmm. himself and you know, he's got his motives here, but you know, he is the protagonist. He's the good guy in the story. Shows his good nature at heart. You know, yes. he is that hunter gatherer. He's methodical. He's a, very much like that lone wolf type feel, yes. but he still has his own code. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. So he, uh, you know, he gets back to the scene. He parks the truck truck uh, up on top of that ridge where he originally stood. Uh, you know, uh, seeing that, seeing it. Um, he he walks down. It's dark. Middle of the night, or actually, it's pretty close to dawn at this point, um, but it's still dark out. He gets down to the scene. He's very on edge because things look slightly different. Things are weird, uh, even in the dark. Um, so, yeah, he checks the guy, and you know, the guy's shot in the head, of course. Um, so Llewellyn knows that you know somebody's been there uh, after him, and uh, you know, maybe start to clean up this mess and. Uh, you know, that that makes him, you know, puts him on edge and, and he turns around and sees, notices an, another truck parked next to his up on the ridge. And uh, there's guys milling around his truck, checking it out. Um, they've already spotted him because they're climbing back in the truck and they start heading down that hill and, and firing a shotgun um, at him. Uh, Llewellyn scrambles under one of the SUVs real quick and comes out the other side. And, you know, he hits the ground running. Um, but, of course, they're in a truck. They're catching up. Uh, they're firing that shotgun. Um, he gets right to the edge. You know, there's another little dip, another little valley ahead of him. He doesn't know it's there. Uh, and, you know, as he's ready to jump down, the guy lets loose it around and catches him in the shoulder. Um, that knocks him down this hill. And, you know, he rolls down, and there's a river there. I think he knew the river was there. Uh, to be honest, he's heading to the river. Um, the truck, you know, pulls up to the edge there, and they let out a dog. And damn, this dog's relentless. <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> they got this thing trained well, man. Oof. Exactly. He so and it's really cool. Another 
Cohen brothers' attention to detail and, and you know, accuracy and realism is Llewellyn taking his boots off. Boots. Boots. What is it he took off? He took off his boots. boots. <laughs> By the way, is this the part in the movie where his character says, I don't know how, but they found me. And Marty McFly <laughs> says, who? And he goes, Libyans. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep, it is. It's the Libyans. Except, except he goes, it's Mexicans. No. <laughs> so, so he's taking his boots off because cowboy boots are the worst kind of boots to have if you're going in the water because they're going to yeah. fill up with water and they're going to weigh you down and you're going to mm-hmm. sink. And a respect for the, the, them, I believe. Yes. You know? you know what? You're right, Alex. It's as much yeah. that as anything. You're 100% mm-hmm. right. Um, so he takes cool. off his boots. Yes. He gets mm-hmm. in the water. He starts swimming. That dog is after him, man. And you, you would think the dog would get in the water and swim a little bit and give up. Nope. This dog ain't nope. stopping. He, nope. he is coming hard. So Llewellyn gets down, down river a little bit. He, he hops out on the other side, uh, the other bank, um, and he sees the dog coming after him. So he pulls that pistol out from his back, and again, you know, to, to account for realism and accuracy, he's got to drop that clip out, pop the round out of the chamber, he blows through it to dry it off because he knows it's not going to fire, and if he doesn't yep. get this done, he's dead. Yep. Uh, you know, great moment of suspense, too, because he gets that clip in and lets the round off as the dog is leaping at his throat. Um, yeah. Catches the dog in the chest, so it's basically, you know, 80 pounds of dead weight hitting him. Knocks him well, to the ground. I mean, it's obviously a fake dog in that shot. <laughs> it looks super No, 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 obviously. Shot. You know what? But I'll tell you what, though. In the, the dog subs- also twitches, too. Yes, which that's is exactly really cool. what I was going to say. And I guess the dog in the scene was a real dog, which was huge. And well, they said the dog was not really trained. <laughs> on, the mid- wow. on the middle cut, though, it was a fake one. It was like the first cut right oh, towards yeah, him yeah, was yeah, real. No. Then the yes. one that he catches is fake. And then it yeah. throws him on the ground. And then it flips back around the camera. It's the real one again. Yeah, they're basically, yeah, the 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 the, the, the uh, props guys are throwing a big yeah. stuffed dog at him. No, there's yeah. no but question But, I mean, it looked that. like super fake when it was Yes, it kind of laughing. It kind of But this, this directing, like the pacing was just spot on. This is the point in the movie where I was watching in the other room. My wife was like, what's wrong? Because when that happened, I was like, oh! Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If, exactly. Uh, if I could quickly go back to right before he falls down the ledge, yeah. he's running from... Uh, like the cartel that are in that like large like bronco sized vehicle right when they're yeah. shooting at him from the bed of the truck if you guys catch it as he's running um you can actually see in the background there's heat lightning going off in the distance oh yeah oh wow and it's such a cool scene i remember they were saying um what was it Roger Deakins was the dp on this and they were saying that he they could only shoot that scene in the river from like four thirty in the morning to like five thirty or something like that, and at like six at night to seven to have the time be accurate for like daybreak going into sunrise. Okay. Yep, yep. Um, but it's such a cool scene that they got it over Llewellyn's shoulder, looking back, and you see that heat lightning off in the distance, miles away. I I, I missed that, and that's really cool. I'll, yeah. I'm going to actually go back and check that out. Next right time now. you I'll, check it, try to. No, keep I'm going to do it right note. now. Hold on, guys. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Just such uh, a cool shot to get. Yeah, that is cool. All right. So we get a quick shot of uh, Llewellyn treating his wounds, you know, pretty much just past dawn. The sun's up. Um, mm-hmm. He's looking off in the distance, and he's, he's watching a vehicle, um, which, you know, it's kind of hard to see. I don't know if it looks like a truck, but who knows. But, you know, he, he's, he's eyeballing that just making sure that they're not coming towards him. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to the next scene. Um, it's sort of an overhead shot of a typical, you know, Texas Southwest desert gas station, you know, last chance for gas place sort of thing. 
Um, mm -hmm. And we're going to roll a clip. This is a long one. Um, I don't know, Trey. You can. I know I had pause. You can just let it run. I guess we can talk about it afterwards, right? Sound good? I do. I did put the break in there. All right. So put. Um, you know what? There, there's, there's a, a break, break, and we'll unpack it, and then finish the second part of it. Perfect. Yeah. It's, it's right. back to. It's definitely back to back. All right. Perfect. Yeah. So roll it, Joe. Thank you. No problem. How much? Sixty-nine. See. And the yeah. gas. Y'all getting any rain up here, Wayne? What way would that be? I seen you was from Dallas. What business is it of yours? Where I'm from? Friendo? I didn't mean nothing by it. Didn't mean nothing. Just passing the time. If you don't want to accept that, I don't know what else I can do for you. Be something else. I don't know. Will there? <clears throat> Is something wrong? With what? With anything. Is that what you're asking me? Is there something wrong with anything? Will it be anything else? You already asked me that. Uh, well, I need to see about closing here. See about closing? Yes, sir. What time do you close? Now. We close now. Now is not a time. What time do you close? Generally around dark. At dark. You don't know what you're talking about, do you? Sir? I said, you don't know what you're talking about. What time do you go to bed? Sir? You're a bit deaf, aren't you? I said, what time do you go to bed? Somewhere around 9.30, I'd say around 9.30. I could come back then. Why would you be coming back? We'll be closed. Yeah, you said that. Well, I got to close now. You live in that house all back? Yes, I do. You lived here all your life? This is my wife's father's place uh, originally. <laughs> you married into it? We lived in Temple, Texas for many years. Raised a family there in Temple. We come out here about four years ago. You married into it. That's the way you want to put it. I don't have some way to put it. That's the way it is. All right. So, yeah, so that is a poor gas station owner's uh, interaction with Anton. Um, I don't know about you guys, but, it, you know, obviously it, 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 of course, extends our, our idea of, of Anton's motives and his thinking and his code. But, you know, on the surface, it sounds to me like he's fucking with the guy. But mm -hmm. I don't know that he is as much as that that's the way he is. It's almost like he's on the autism spectrum where he might not get social cues, like he might not understand small talk, or it might not make sense to him in, in the way it makes sense to us. Mm -hmm. And these responses are just genuine responses to the guy's comments because he doesn't understand it. I, I, you know, who knows? I, it's just my thought on it anyway. Yeah, Friendo. No. Friendo. Friend Friendo. Friendo, yeah, great, great <laughs> scene. Um, 
I do like at the end of the at the end of this clip where you hear that little crinkling sound. I love that the Coen Brothers focused in yes. on the peanut wrapper unfolding like it would if you were to put down a yeah. wrapper from peanuts. Yes. It's just it's it's just such a great thing. And I will also say like this is the first half of the clip. To me, this is the capital T, capital H, capital E dialogue scene in the movie. Like this for me is the scene mm-hmm. I would show somebody when it comes to just the spoken word of the film, not the not the action part of it. Right. And the I did tone. have here yeah. Yes, I did have here in my notes too that the marquee outside reads Give your car a break. Only break is spelt like car breaks. <laughs> and um the R's the the letter R of car and here are missing. And part of me, this might be re- reading into it, or maybe it's Cohen thing. It could just be the fact that marquee letters fall all the time. But to me, this is how I'm reading into it. The two R's there are missing, which in like um, the service industry always stands for rest and relaxation, which you mm. don't really get in this movie. Mm. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So that's kind of me reading into it a little bit. I never noticed it because I actually had to pause the movie when I was writing up stuff. I'm like, oh, I never really looked at the marquee there. Yeah. And um, yep. I just really, I just really, uh, this is this is the scene. I do like what you said too, Doug, about like he has trouble with social cues, no humor and stuff. But this is this is the scene when it comes to dialogue. Well, now movie. speaking of reading too much into things, I'm good to do this because, like you mentioned, this was my first time watching this movie. Maybe I'm reading too much into things, and 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 you can tell me, you know, as an expert. But <laughs> we'll get into that later. For now, this scene, I just get the impression that like this guy is going about his everyday, you know, sort of dull life, running this gas station in the middle of nowhere, and that character when he walks in, like his intention, like his intensity, and just he knows why he's standing there and what he's going to say in a way that's eerie and this guy doesn't really know how to process that on the other end he's like i'm just trying to make some multi what the the hell are you talking about yeah and it's almost frustrating for uh mr sugar over there that like you're not getting it man like i'm standing in front of you for a reason right right yeah i i wanted to mention at the beginning just a note as well with what the coen brothers do because i think this kind of kind of plays into it that um, the Coen brothers like to do this and they do it definitely in this movie it's the framework of what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object so Anton is our unstoppable force here that stops at nothing and Llewellyn is our immovable object who's very stubborn relentless lone wolf and sometimes to me I feel like if that is you're working in that framework and constantly referring to that and thinking about it Llewellyn I mean, I'm sorry, Anton, it almost feels like he's placing things in front of him to get through. You know, he's putting this guy in the way, like, essentially, kind of like a bully creating this issue and this problem and stuff, you know, if you want to think about it in that framework, absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense, too. Yep, yep. And it it keeps going in the, it only gets better as well as this clip goes. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Joe, let's roll at the second part of this scene. All right. One last thing. Sixty-nine yeah. cents. Okay. I know. I was gonna. <laughs> I was gonna be so childish and just go noise, but I didn't. I did. I, I said, "Oh yeah." <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Exactly. What's the most you ever lost on a coin toss? Sir, the most you ever lost on a coin toss. I don't know. I couldn't say. 
Call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Well, we need to know what we're calling it for here. You need to call it. I can't call it for you. It wouldn't be fair. I didn't put nothing up. Yes, you did. You've been putting it up your whole life. You just didn't know it. You know what date is on this coin? No. 1958. It's been traveling 22 years to get here. And now it's here. And it's either heads or tails. And you have to say, call it. Well, look, I need to know what I stand to win. Everything. How's that? You stand to win everything, call it. All right. Heads in. Well done. Don't put it in your pocket, sir. Don't put it in your pocket. It's your lucky quarter. Where do you want me to put it? Anywhere not in your pocket. Or it'll get mixed in with the others and become just a coin. Which it is. Oh, that scene. Yeah. It's, it's the scene. Um, and I have here in my notes as well that I've seen this movie a lot and I've seen this scene a lot um, because, again, like I said, I feel like this is the dialogue scene. But while doing um, all the preparations for this um, uh, episode, this was the first time I noticed that there was music here because there is no music or score really to this movie. Right. Most of it is the yeah. wind. Um and I think you notice you'd notice it more when you're just listening to it. I think that that's a testament to how engaging the dialogue is in here, yes. how much tension there is, how good the actors' performances are. They used singing bowls for pretty much all the music in here, but like this movie is devoid of mu- there's no score. Yep. You know, there's uh, unless you're talking about the mariachi band, which we'll talk later on. But like, <laughs> there's no music in this movie. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, and uh, Eric, did you did you happen movie. to notice that at all? Like, did you think about that your first time through? I didn't run into it until almost the end of the movie, and and that that's a testament to how well it was put together because it didn't jump out at me like, hey man, there's no music. I'm used yeah. to some music. Yeah, well, yeah, that just, means it was done right. You know. Yeah, yeah I was just I was so engaged with it. Um, maybe it was a movie with no talking. You know, a lot of lack of dialogue, but. There yeah, like, I, I watched this movie with my chin on my fist. You know what I mean? That's a good <laughs> sign. Like, that's how you know I'm in. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm, it's yeah. pulling me in. Maybe it was the mariachi band itself where I was like, oh, shit. There's, there's been nothing going. Like, yeah. who got credited with the score for this movie? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so much that goes on. Again, establishing Anton's code. Uh, it's almost like, I, I think what you said, Alex, earlier about him pushing as a bully. You know, th- this is part of that in the sense that, you know, in his eyes, he never kills just to kill. And he, he needs a reason for it. And this is basically a contract that he's drawn up and had the participants sign. And that's the way he looks at it in his head. It's like, all right, we're flipping and, you know, this is it. You, you've signed this contract. You've agreed to the contest and we're just mm-hmm. going to let it play out. And you're fine if, it, if you call it right. I, I think my favorite line in that whole like five minute clip is when the clerk says I didn't put anything up and he said yes you've been putting it up your whole life you just yep. didn't know yeah yeah you know and and 
this, I mean, you you might be able to say this. I think I could say this with reasonable confidence. That could be the clip that won him the Oscar. Yeah, I I I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, this is actually one of those clips that I will say like I can get choked up over this clip not because it's like a romantic clip. It's a a love interest clip. It's emo. It, it's how good the yeah. acting is in this. How yeah. well it's done. You totally like, relate. Just yep. just the just seeing and witnessing this on screen and how well this was done. You almost get choked up for the. Like how well they're doing yeah. at their job, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know? I completely relate to that. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, this one, this you know, it, it leaves us drained. <laughs> you know, yeah. in in a quick scene like that, it leaves us drained. Um, but it, it it is absolutely amazing. It's the signature scene in this movie. Um, yeah. So all right. So moving on, we are now back at the trailer. Um, Llewellyn's back under the trailer. He's getting the machine gun out this time. Uh, Carla Jean hears him and asks, you know, pops her head out and asks what he's doing. Uh, they go inside, um, and Llewellyn's tending to his wounds. He's, he, he caught some buckshot in his shoulder. Um, and apparently, um, Josh Brolin broke his shoulder in a motorcycle accident a couple mm-hmm. of weeks before, a couple of days before filming started. He said he got T-boned when he was on his motorcycle, and it was like his, what, his collarbone, his right yeah. collarbone? Yeah. And he was, he didn't want to say anything because he didn't want to lose the role, and right. I believe... From the interview I saw, his lawyer said, like, you got to let them know because you're liable for stuff like that. And he had brought it up to the Coens, and they said, well, which shoulder is it? And he said, the right. And he said, well, your character gets shot in the right, so it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. they're all about making that linear, yep. you know. Uh, so, yeah, he's tended to his wounds, and he's telling uh, Carla Jean that she needs to go to her mama's in Odessa in Texas, another town in Texas. Uh, because things went south, pretty much. Um, she protests because she's concerned. And I love Llewellyn just sums it up with, you know, he just drops the bomb. At what point would you stop looking for your $2 million? <laughs> you yeah. know, to get the point across to her that, listen, there's people coming and we got to get out of here. He drops a reference about them finding his truck. And then the cops coming by, all sorts of stuff like that. So uh, she understands. She's pissed at him, but she understands. Um, we now meet. So my... The header on my notes for this scene is Anton and the managerial victims, because <laughs> that's what they're labeled as in the cast list. Um, you know, Anton at night uh, he drives up and meets a couple of business types that get out of an SUV. Um, they drive on to Llewellyn's truck. You know, again at the top of the ridge. Um, Anton, you know, he opens a door. I love. He goes, "Anybody got a screwy?" Uh, and he uses the screwdriver to pop the VIN plate off the door so he can then, you know, uh, get Llewellyn's whereabouts from, from the DMV information. Um, the two business types give him a tracker, a tracking device uh, that's going to, you know, we find out. And, you know, this is where it starts that there's a tracking device in the, case, the money case. So this tracker will help Anton find that case. Um, he takes the tracker. Then he he asks uh, business guy number two to hand over the flashlight and then proceeds to just shoot them both dead. You know he needs mm-hmm. them out of the way for this. Um, well, they saw him. They right. See who he is? Exactly. They know who he is, and he can't have that. Mm-hmm. So, um, and there's a you which know it's com- which will come back up again. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So he uh, shoots them both. So uh, we now get our first. Besides the opening narration done by Ed Tom uh, Bell, 
we meet Ed Tom and his wife Loretta. So uh, Ed Tom is the sheriff of the county, and uh, Terrell. Yep, Terrell. Terrell County. Yeah, and um, oh, just real quick, going back to the opening narration, the two sheriffs that he mentions were were real, and they were the sheriffs of those counties at the time the movie takes place. So nice. you know, another Cohen or Cormac McCarthy touch, you know, whatever. Um, really cool. So. Uh, Ed Bell is loading uh, Ed, Ed Tom, sorry Ed Tom is loading uh, his wife Loretta's horse It's very clear that it's Loretta's horse <laughs> And not his <laughs> Loading it into the trailer Because he's got He's heading out to the scene uh, With his deputy So, you know, they do it the old-fashioned Texas way And they're going to do it on mm-hmm. horse Because it makes sense um, Loretta is giving him the speech That she has probably given him every day for the however many decades he's been sheriff just be careful don't get hurt don't hurt anybody <laughs> okay mm-hmm. um yeah. another instance of great dialogue that instantly conveys how much they love each other you know mm-hmm. you can just tell instantly that these two are just they're life partners and you know nothing means more to each of them than the other person um it's it's beautiful dialogue um i do i do like when uh, loretta's like when is the county gonna, you know, reimburse me for my horses and he something like that? And, and, and he says, "I love you more every day." Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, so I also wrote down as a note. I like that uh, they use the term "a fire," which means on fire. I just thought that yes. was really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They said it was a car of fire. A car of fire. You yeah, know exactly. Yeah, um, they have a great back and forth. Like, don't get hurt. Never do. Yeah, never will. You know, very much like they're confident yeah. and everything. Yep. He didn't say anything about w- when she said, "Don't hurt anyone." Don't hurt anyone. He never. He didn't he say laughed. anything. He just laughs at yep. that. Um, <laughs> he just chuckles. Yeah, exactly. Uh, That's what I said to my wife before I left that day. Before <laughs> when I met Joe and he and he uh, busted into my car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my wife said, "Don't get hurt." I said, "I never do." And then. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hurt anyone. Surprise, motherfucker! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. you got uh, dopes. I'm just, I'm yeah. just waiting for him to run into Will Smith trying to fight Loveless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, so uh, yeah, we uh, we see uh, basically we we're going to see Ed Tom go to work. Uh, he meets mm-hmm. up with his deputy Wendell, uh, played by Garrett Delahunt. I love this man. Um, mm-hmm. Love Manetti. Raising Hope. Raising Hope, exactly. But Deadwood, the 4400, he was in that mm-hmm. other Cormac McCarthy movie, The Road, uh, mm-hmm. Fear the Walking Dead. I mean, the list goes on. He's a super actor. Um, quick bit of trivia. He auditioned five times for the role of Llewellyn, mm-hmm. but ended up, they wanted Josh Brolin. He ended up getting uh, Wendell. Um, mm-hmm. You can tell he's new, but you can tell he's smart. The conversations that they're having and, and will have in the subsequent scene demonstrate that he is a good cop um he knows his stuff um they check out the burnt car that that he's been called to look at uh ed tom and ed tom demonstrating his ability and the reason he's the sheriff is that you know even though it's a burnt out hulk he identifies pretty much the year of this car and quickly connects it to the gentleman we saw get offed in the beginning of the movie by anton uh using his uh his poker um so, you know, they know something's going on uh, already. They ride the horses down to the scene. Um, they find Llewellyn's truck, and they don't even need the VIN because, again, Ed Tom looks at it and goes, I know, I know this truck. This is Llewellyn Moss's truck. Like, just because he knows everything, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's good at his job. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they, they're surveying the massacre, 
uh, there's even a little more time passed now, so there's comments about the smell, and there's another reference, you know, Wendell sees the dog. Oh, they even shot a dog. <laughs> you know, that that hurts him. Um, I, I made a quick note because there's, it's funny, but it's not, and then I should have pulled a clip because I kind of don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, Wendell asks Ed Tom, why, why does he think the coyotes haven't been at him yet? The, the bodies and Ed Tom's response is supposedly coyotes won't eat a Mexican. I don't know where that comes from. I guess it's in the book. It's, it's gotta be in the book. Um, it's obviously a little, little, little spicy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously it's, it's a little politically incorrect, but you know, it definitely fits in. Yeah. It's 1980 dialogue. Spicy. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm talking about political and Joe's just dropping the bombs. Yes. Well, I mean, it could also be a reference to the people that sneak the Mexican people into the U.S. They're called coyotes. Not very true. Very true. There you go. Oh, God. Yeah. Maybe since they help them, okay. they, don't, they don't eat them. Try, keep trying to dig out of the hole, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, I'm not the one far. dug the hole. You're the one dug in the no, hole. No, I'm, re- I'm just reading the dialogue, baby. <laughs> I didn't bring this shit up. Uh, anyway, um, you know, I, I look, I'm an old dude. I chuckled. <laughs> I can't. I'm just being honest. I, I think uh, whenever Wendell's on the screen, there's usually a piece of especially with him and how ed tom bell go back and forth there's usually some comedy which again like it, yeah this is this movie can be somewhat bereft of it but like there's a funny I, I really like the scene where wendell is trying to put on his like uh sheriff hat and he's like talking about the standoff and everything and then yeah. i love the scene where he goes they're getting set to trade and then Whoa, difference. Yeah, I know. You know, he's got that he's got that good drawl going yes. and he's like portraying everything, but then all of a sudden, whoa, differences. Yeah. <laughs> like this whole you thing know? could be summed up in differences. Now nah. All I think yeah. about when I see him is like the the only good character in Fear of the Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I stopped watching he's that so show. Good. He's so good. He is so good in that, but I stopped yeah, watching that show otherwise. But yeah, I mean this demonstrates what I mentioned earlier in that look, while Wendell is green and new. He's mm-hmm. he's he's good cop because he's the one who you know I, I, we know that Ed Tom has already deduced this but Wendell says this is two separate things we got an execution and a Wild West um, you know and he, again he mentions the managerial types the two guys in the suits uh, are the execution yeah. so uh, yeah um, so you know at this point they, they reference money in general because you know it, it, if you don't have if you got drugs you got money and really quickly. Ed Tom checks the back of the truck and the drugs are gone now. It's not that he knew the drugs were there, but the, the tarp is pushed back and those drugs are gone. They, they, let, they, they let us see that as the viewer. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, yeah, Ed Tom believes the money's missing and, you know, we can tell he, he's already got his ideas on what's going on here. And then uh, Joe, just play this quick one. This is a good one. Well, it's a mess, ain't it, Sheriff? If it ain't, it'll do till the mess gets here. <laughs> I, did, I, I had to play that. I threw that at Joe yeah. late that, because it's six, uh, ten seconds long. But, yes, and it sums up this movie. Like, we ain't seen nothing yet is the bottom line. As viewers yeah. and participants in this adventure, we have not seen it even close to what's going to happen. And that mm-hmm. sums it up. So I, I, I had to play that clip. I love it. It's That's it's got great. a very it, it's very um, Ed Tom. It's got a yes. tongue in cheek feel to it. Exactly. You know, he's seen a lot. He knows a lot, but also at the same time, he's still kind of he's keeping that comedy going. Yes, exactly. It's prophetic and comedic, and yes, it's a way to to relieve the stress for a second 
for these two guys that are dealing with this this carnage and yeah it's it's just a it's a great line he's um, got like that salt of the earth like yes. yogi barrow wisdom you know like, exactly exactly you just want to have a beer with this you guy know? yeah yeah um yeah, sorry. So we are now back at the trailer park, but this time it's Anton who's visiting Llewellyn's trailer. So he's obviously gotten the information off that VIN. He heads over there. Um, he uses his little his little uh, inspector gadget gadget, and he, he blows the lock. Man, he pops the lock cylinder so hard it shoots across the whole trailer and dents or you know leaves an impression on the the wood paneling across the trailer. Um, you know. He goes inside and he starts checking things out. He finds a phone bill, which is going to come into play a, a few times later in the, a couple of times later in the movie. Um, and he opens the fridge and he takes out a bottle of milk. It's a glass bottle of milk. Um, he sits down on the couch in the living room and he, you know, takes a couple of sips of milk. And, you know, we see him staring at his reflection in the television. Like, and almost in his eyes, it's like he is watching television. <laughs> Something's going on there. You know, I mean, he's playing things out in his head, whatever he's doing, but there's definitely more. He's not staring vacantly. Um, no. You know, this is an important scene too. It's something. It's, I think this is an important scene to remember too, because he'll sit down there with the milk, looking at the TV, and the Cohen's actually um, from the perspective of Anton show right into the television set that's turned off. You'll see the silhouette of Anton's head with the window behind him. Uh, the light behind him and just that silhouette. Yeah. They just show that. And that comes back up. Exactly. Um, So Anton then heads to the trailer park office to see if he can find out stuff. And my notes here, it just says that he goes into the trailer park office and he meets his civilian equal in the manager. (laughs) All right. Um, he, He asks her, you know, where Llewellyn is, and her matter-of-factly says, well, did you check his trailer? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> duh. <laughs> and, uh, you only get what you give. If he ain't there, he's at work. Where's he work? Yeah. I am not at liberty to tell you any of this information or whatever she says it. She's, we ain't give out no information. Right. Ain't nobody got time for that. Exactly. <laughs> and she sticks to her guns. She reads, the stays with the, with the company line. And you know what? He, he, Anton respects that. He, you, you, uh-huh. It's funny because he, he, you know, you're waiting for that moment where he's just going to kill her. Mm-hmm. And he, he leaves. But when he turns around and he looks at her, he's almost giving her a nod of approval. Like in his eyes. He's like, this, I like this lady. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's cheap. Like, that's a bad bitch. Well, no, exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's like, again, he has his rules. She followed her rules that she had and didn't flinch at him. She didn't even He's like, bat it. Real recognize real. Exactly. So you know, he just gives her this look and a kind of nod, not really, but just a just a little nod of respect there. And I love that scene. I love that interaction. Um, yeah, that was good. You know. So yeah, he uh, you know he he goes on his way. He's got enough information. He just figured he'd check for more. He's going on his way. Um, um, did you? I, I'm pretty sure. Also, as a note here, Anton hears a person in the bathroom of that trailer. Which has always made me wonder, because there was another person there, uh, it's almost like a two against one type thing. It makes me wonder if that didn't happen, he didn't hear the flush, and clearly there's another person there, would he have broken out the coin or engaged further? Yeah, I do that's like possible. you're going with the whole, like, she's kind of holding her own. But also, it clearly, after the third time of her saying you can't give out information, it's balls back in his court. And they perfectly time it that you hear a person in the facilities. Okay, yep. And he looks over and then looks back over. It's kind of like 
yeah, it's Maybe not if you worth were by it. Yourself, this might go right. Differently. It's not worth it. Yeah, that that's yeah. absolutely. Yep. I wonder how bad it smelled. Oh, <laughs> oh god! It is summertime in this movie. Yeah, that's Oof. true. Summer in Texas, man. I've been there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I think if we're gonna get in the habit of like looking deeply at things as far as this movie goes, it's like your set of circumstances completely randomly determine how things are gonna shake out yes. for you. And and every scene so far sort of illustrates that. Yeah. You know, when he references, like, this coin has been making its way to you for however many years. 22. Um, 22. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That toilet flush, you know, was just another right. uh, little piece of the puzzle there. Like, okay, you get Chance. to live another day because somebody had to deuce it up in here. Yeah. That's true. It's like what? it's almost like a flow chart. Like, like a yes-no yeah. flow chart. Like, you know, yeah. if this happens, then lives- this. If then. Yeah, Anton's character kind of lives by everything is chance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's what the coin represents. Yep, yep. Yeah. Speaking of flow charts, like the one you put up today, Doug. Oh, yeah. Not to be a dick, yeah. Exactly. I wish yeah, more people I, would I listen. Did, I, I, don't apply, I don't adhere to your, I know, your yeah, logic. Exactly. My whole thing with that is that, you know, how not to be a dick. The problem is too many people don't recognize when they're being a dick. And and that's why the flow chart is flawed in a way. But anyway, we'll move. Oh, but then some <laughs> people recognize it and don't Well, care. yes. No, there are those too. And I have more respect for those than the ones that can't recognize when they're being a dick. Okay? <laughs> and, and I can most respect somebody the who one knows who, they're being a dick. The one who like, posts on there, don't tell me how to live my I know, life. I love that though. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So we are now on the bus. Um, Llewellyn's putting Carla Jean on the bus to Odessa. And Joe, roll that clip because I love this dialogue. Wow, the way to Del Rio. I'm gonna borrow a car from Roberto. You can't afford me. I don't want to register. Look, I'll call you in a couple days. Promise? Yes, I do. I got a bad feeling, Llewellyn. Well, I got a good one, so that ought to even out. You gotta quit your worrying so much. Mama's gonna raise hate. Mm-hmm. She's just gonna cuss you up and down. Well, you should be used to that. I'm used to lots of things. I work at Walmart. Not anymore, Carl G. You are retired. Willing. Yes, ma'am. You're coming back, ain't you? I shall return. I mean. <laughs> That Walmart line is my favorite funny line in the movie. Yeah. I'm used to lots of things that work at Walmart because it's so <laughs> fucking true. Great yeah. accent on. Yeah. Did you work on at Walmart, that. Doug? What's that? Did you ever work I at never did. My, my, Tim did. My son Tim did, but I never did. Nope. I did. Yeah, yeah. And you told the stories, and and so you know that that's true. <laughs> like, oh yeah. You know, um, definitely. You meet some weird people. Hell at Walmart. yeah! When they can devote a whole Especially website. Especially when you're working overnights in Florida. Oh, I'm sure. You know, when they can devote a whole website to the people of Walmart, you know you're in a unique place. I mean, bottom line, yeah. that's what it is. But overnights, yeah, <laughs> overnights yeah, in a Walmart, Walmart in Florida is uh, the beginning of a horror movie. Well, and not only that, Ocala, Florida. Oh, oh no! <laughs> so yeah, I just I had a, again. It it demonstrates their love for each other and their respect for each other, and it's just fucking funny too. You know, We're talking about I got a bad feeling, while well, I got a good feeling, that evens it out. Things like that. Yeah. Absolutely love that. Great, great back. And yeah. Forth. Uh, so we're back at the trailer once again, only this time it's Ed, Tom, and Wendell. Uh, you know, they obviously, Ed, Tom recognized the truck. He knows where to go. Um, they knock, uh, Wendell knocks on the door, but then they both almost at the same time see that the, lo- the lock's been blown out. Um, you know, 
Wendell reacting to Ed Tom being cautious, you know, he draws his, his, his gun or I think Ed Tom even says, uh, he's like guns and Ed Tom's like out and up, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Out. And, he said, yeah, we're going out, we're going and up, out and up. And I love Wendell says, where's yours? And <laughs> Ed Tom says, I'm hiding behind yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he whispers to him. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, they fling open the door. He and uh, Wendell announces them, but then they quickly realize it's empty. It's not a big place. They know it's empty. Um, so Ed Tom notices that the door lock is across the room, um, and he walks over and you know recognizes that it's put a dent in that wood paneling. So he's not quite sure what's going on yet, but you know again the wheels are spinning. He's always thinking. He's such a smart man. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, something to note here that when uh, Deputy Wendell and Sheriff Ed Tom enter, they open up the door. And it swings open to his right slowly and fully before they actually enter into the trailer. And this is just something to uh, keep in mind for a later scene. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, so, you know, they're, they're checking things out uh, in the trailer. And um, Ed Tom notices the milk on the, uh, the coffee table in front of the couch. And, you know, he points it out to Wendell. And um, then he says that um, he says it's still sweating, and Wendell's reaction is so wonderful <laughs> because it's childlike. <laughs> because again, he's smart; he, he yeah. gets the job, but it just things like this are things he's still learning not to miss. And uh-huh. he's like, "Oh, oh, <laughs> we just missed him!" Like he's so <laughs> excited, yeah. and you know. Uh, he says, just, "Like, we, what yeah. do you say? We we got to get this. We got to get this get out. This out. We, we got to get, get this out over the airwaves or something yeah. like that." Yeah, and, and Ed Tom, with his classic tongue in cheek, says, yeah. "What are we saying? Looking for a man who had recently drunk milk." Yes, <laughs> exactly. It's such great natural dialogue between the two of them. But yeah, Wendell, I just you know, and it, you know, it's funny, Alex. You mentioned earlier about getting emotional about a scene. I get emotional thinking about it just because it's so good. Mm-hmm. Like his reaction is just so perfect for his character and just the way he did it. You know, yeah. it's a testament to Garrett, Garrett Delahunt's uh, acting ability. Yeah, um, he's he's childlike, but also again, like you said, like he's somewhat wearing the, like the "I could be sheriff in the yes. future" hat. Like you see in that exactly. And, and, and this is also the scene where we segue yeah. into Ed Tom drinking the milk and staring at the TV set in the exact same manner yes. that Anton did. And he, when yeah. he says the line, like, do you have any idea what this boy Moss is up for? And he says, I'm seeing the same things that he's been seeing. It's certainly made an impression on me. That line is chilling. Yeah. Like, we know it because we've seen more than Ed Tom has even seen. But right. the, it's a chilling line because, yes, it's setting up everything to come. You know, it, mm-hmm. it goes hand in hand with that, you know, this is a mess thing. It's a quick line, but he sums it up so succinctly with – the least amount of words. He's like Kevin on The Office, you know, in that episode where he wants to use less words to get the point across. Sea world. Yes. But Ed Tom is so eloquently doing Mm -hmm. that. Least amount of words, but drives the point home in so many ways, you know. While also being in that framework where he talked about the old timers not carrying a gun and how he can't keep up with the new times of the new, like, law people, like the new gangsters, the new cartel, all that type of stuff. He's just still more of an old timer. Exactly. Yeah, that's why it's made an impression on him because it's like, I haven't seen this shit, you know? Yep. And, you know, we'll talk about it later, but, you know, the title of the movie starts to come into play more and more. 
mm-hmm. um, in, in that sense with Ed Tom. Um, so, yeah, so you mentioned he's, he sits, we see the same exact scene with the milk looking at the TV. Um, so it, it's just, yeah, it's so cool. Um, we are now moving on. So uh, Llewellyn is, uh, he's arrived, I guess it's a bus station, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he grabs a cab and just asks the cabbie to take him to cheap, a cheap hotel, you know. Um, there's a funny interaction with the, with the clerk and picking the room. <laughs> She's got the room <laughs> rates and he's uh-huh. staring at it and, you know, uh, trying to figure out, well, I was just one yeah. person. And, you know, so they, they come to an agreement as to what room, you know, what size room he wants. Um, he gets in his room. He tries to call his friend Roberto back at the car, but there's no answer. Um, he then spots the vent, uh, the air vent, and, you know, gets his idea. Uh, really cool, quick scene. Again, no dialogue, but, um, you know, he cuts the he cuts the cord on the on the blinds and ties it to the handle on the um, on the the money case. He slips it in the vent and then he uses the the um, the clothes rack rod and pushes it all the way back in the in the vent till it's almost all the way around the corner. You know, so it's sort of hiding from the casual glance. Um, again, careful man, smart man. You know, self-preservation in full in full mode here. Um, we now cut to Anton making a phone call. Uh, he's using the phone list that he found in the trailer, and he's calling CJ's mama to see if Llewellyn is there. Um, you know, she doesn't know who it is. She doesn't know because she doesn't know anything about what's going on. Uh, but she says, "No, of course he's not here. You know, why would he be here? Because uh, I don't even know if she knows that her daughter's coming yet. You know." Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's no luck, but he's definitely on the scent, obviously. He's using all his skills, uh, to do the tracking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've talked about boots and boots and boots. Now we go actual boot shopping because <laughs> yep. Llewellyn lost his boots and he loved those boots and now he needs new boots. So he goes to the boot shop. Mm-hmm. Um, he asked the clerk for a, he's looking for a pair of Larry Mayhans, uh, size 11. I looked it up. It's a popu- very popular, uh, quality work boot or you know boot in, in, in the south in the southwest mm-hmm. uh so that's what he wants um uh minus one pairs of boots do you have? <laughs> <laughs> i can tell you that probably you know since i hit puberty i my foot has never been inside a cowboy boot like maybe as a youngster <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> playing cowboys and indians uh mm-hmm. but no not since puberty have i set foot in uh cowboy boots just not my thing yeah, well, yeah, and but no, Vegas doesn't count as the Southwest. Come on, that's its own planet. <laughs> <laughs> that's like saying Nashville is in the that's South, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's Florida like is its Florida own planet as south. well in a different solar system. Yeah. Yeah. Florida's the only place you got to drive point. north to get it, to the South. It's in the scene, when he's in the in the store, when he's... um. Actually, I'm sorry. I think it's going to... I jump in it. It's the dialogue I really want to talk about. I think it's when, when he's actually at the uh, gun store. Oh, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. The, you know, a, a little bit of quick humor in, in this scene is, you know, he gets the boots and he goes, he asks the clerk, you sell socks. And the clerk goes, only white. And he goes, white's all I wear. White's all I wear. <laughs> uh, yeah. He, he jumps into the bathroom to clean his foot wounds because, you know, he had run through the desert with no boots on. Uh, so, you know, he's putting fresh socks on and he's treating it with antibacterial spray uh, just to make sure, you know, mm-hmm. his feet stay working. Um, mm-hmm. So no, this, you know, this and, guy's a tough cookie, man. Because I, I can yeah. have on some. I'm talking about a day walking through Disney World, and I'm I'm I can't I can't take another step. This guy's got blister 
bloody feet, and he's breaking in a new pair of leather boots. Like, yeah. my God. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now let me tell you, I can take the days walking in Disney World, but you know what gets me every time is the days walking in either <laughs> Blizzard Beach or Typhoon Lagoon. Yeah, that's true. Your feet just that's get true. worn raw from the and, damn you know, cement. This brings me back to the only issue I have with this movie, and it's so tiny, all right? But we've talked about how well Llewellyn's prepared, how careful he is. And he demonstrates this in, in the bathroom at the shop. You know, He probably carries an extra pair of socks with him and, and that spray of ba- a can of Bactine everywhere. It's in his truck because... Incidents like this could always happen to him. Yet, when he's checking out the scene in the beginning and the guy asks for agua, he doesn't have any water. Who goes in the desert hmm. for any length of time and doesn't have water? Yeah, really. That's my only beef with this thing. And, and otherwise, yeah. I, I think it's you know flawless. We're not using the word flawless, but it is a mm-hmm. near-perfect movie. But it's like that's just kind of weird. It's almost a convenient thing to set up the next scene with the gallon of water. Anyway. Well, you know, one thing I will say, if I can try to play, not, I guess, the other advocate for here, or at least a life raft, when he is in the desert, we first see him where he's perched for shooting, right? And perhaps he has water in his truck, which is close, but then the shot leads him down to the elk, which leads him to the dog, which leads him to the scene of the crime, which leads him down the ridge, which leads him to the guy with the money satchel in the tree. So there's a good chance he was originally near his truck, right. but because of the scene of events, it literally brought him away from home base. I like that explanation. You're right. That was I saved completely it. unprepared. I s- no, you did. You did, <laughs> because that makes total sense to me, and I think you are 100% right, because, yes, this was a sidetrack, and he was not prepared for that. There we go. I'm good. We're back to flawless. I like, I like that much better than mine, which was like when... The homeless guy that you've already given money to, like every day for a week, asks you for more money, and you lie and say, <laughs> eh, "I only have my credit card on me, man. I'm sorry, but you know damn well there's a five in your pocket." Yeah, exactly. That's true. Or maybe he's like from South. <laughs> like, You're taking our water. Yep. All right, so we are now back at the motel. Um, you know, Llewellyn is still carless, so he's in a cab. Um, pulls well, can into I the mention park. my scene. Can I, mention the te- can I mention the tent scene? The dialogue. No, that in the comes tent? later. Oh, that comes- is, is it? Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, hold- Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That comes a little later. Okay. That comes- okay we yeah, got yeah. a couple of quick scenes there. Gotcha. They're quick jumps, but yes, that comes in like a two minutes. We'll get to gotcha. that. Yep. Um. So we are. Yes, yeah, so we're back. At- back at the motel. Llewellyn's in the cab. They mm-hmm. pull into the lot, and he immediately. Llewellyn immediately notices another of those SUV type Jeep trucks. Um, and that sets him on edge instantly. He just tells the cabbie to not stop. Um, the cabbie is, he asked the cabbie to sort of kind of circle the lot, and the cabbie's getting nervous because he don't want to get in a no jackpot. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, keeps, he says, take me to, then, he, then Llewellyn Fowler says, take me to another motel. And he goes, you know, he's trying to give money, and Llewellyn's response to that was, you're already in a jackpot, I'm trying to get you out of it. Um, Mm. You know, he, so, he sees the uh, he sees the uh, drapes because before he leaves his, I think he's in room one thirty eight. Before yes. he leaves, he closes the drapes fully, and then, like as you mentioned, Doug, he sees a vehicle he doesn't recognize, and then he goes by slowly, and you can actually see it center frame that the window, uh, the curtains on the window are actually true. broken open a little bit. That's how right. he knows. Yep. Yeah. So uh, the cabbie obliges and takes him to another <clears throat> motel. Uh, we get a quick scene of Anton. 
heading down the highway, and uh, the, you know the sign says I forget what, and if you go to the left but to the right is Del Rio, where mm-hmm. Llewellyn is, and and Anton goes right to Del Rio. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason he at first, I, so I watched this a, f- a few times this week. The first time I watched it was just sort of a run through. And I questioned how he knew that, but I realized that he had the phone list, and on that phone list was Roberto's phone number, mm-hmm. and he knows Roberto's in Del Rio. So it, it's simple, but again, it's just proof of the attention to detail by McCarthy mm-hmm. and by the Cohen brothers. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, and, there's there, when he's going. Are, are we going to mention the scene? So he splits right because it's uh, two places to go. This is where it's the bridge scene where he shoots yeah, the bird. Exactly. Oh. It's so weird, but. He doesn't I, hit the bird. No, he doesn't. Actually, the the explanation for this too, it's referred to as kicking the dog. Um, I guess uh, it's an old West trope where to represent and to show the audience that this is a bad guy, like this person is heartless. Um, bad guys in old westerns used to kick dogs, uh, like okay. to give it that like uh, uh, that sound. Yep, yep. And the Coen Brothers play with that in their second movie, Raising Arizona. Yeah, where um, they would shoot uh, a creature on the rock. I forget what it was, but um, it was a lizard. I think. Yeah, yeah, a lizard. Yeah. So this is kind of it's the kick the dog moment. Where it's okay. like there's no reason for him to do this, but he shoots at it and yeah, it misses it. But it's 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 the kick the dog scene. It flies off and cause. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Especially <laughs> that's, nobody birds. likes birds. And Cohen yeah. Brothers. We didn't need this, you know, to to emphasize <laughs> what a bad dude this guy was. We know, got we enough. Know. We know. We yeah. know. We already know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm curious if that yeah. like. This, as you mentioned, Doug, this movie really blends the lines of, if you don't know the book, was this a Coen brother thing or yes. was it a Cormac? Like, because Cormac wrote the, the river scene, but they wrote in the dog scene. Right. Like, the dog's exactly. not in the book, but they wrote. Yeah. So you got to wonder, like, okay, is it Cormac or is it Joel yep. and Ethan, <laughs> which is yep. great. I, yeah, I, I love the fact that we're left guessing. That yep. that shows how, how well it's written on both sides of it, you know? Totally. Uh, we we jump now to the local diner where it seems that Wendell and 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 Ed Tom meet quite often. Um, Wendell lets Ed Tom know that they didn't recover a bullet from the dead man in the beginning of the movie. Um, this is a mystery to both men. It's kind of funny, is you know Ed Tom's like, oh, are you telling me that you know he went to the trouble? There's a, there's an entrance wound and no exit wound, but then he went to the trouble to dig it out with a pocket knife, and mm-hmm. you know they're both still stumped by this. They don't know. Um, and then there's also a quick, like, it's almost like a running joke. You know, Wendell informs him that the DEA agent is heading back out to the scene. Mm-hmm. And Ed Tom wants no part of this. Yeah. He says, no, nah, I'm not going to go. And yeah. it comes up again later in it. It's just a running joke. I, I think yeah. it's funny. It makes I think he said it's like, they're going to go out to the uh, the scene. You heading? Did yeah. any new bodies accrue? No. <laughs> yes. Then I guess Ex- I can skip it. Exactly. I also really yeah. like the, like, I don't know if it's, the dialect of the of the area, but they were asking about well, what about the bullet? And Wendell says, "Wooden none." And yeah. and Ed Tom goes, "Wooden none, yes sir, wooden none." <laughs> Just like I know. Uh, as in you know, like nah, I mean, yeah, you know, it was yes. very very slanging. The wooden none, and they play off each other so well. Uh-huh. So, um, so now we get to Tina's range gear. This is, this is your scene, Alex. Uh, yeah, he, uh, Llewellyn's waiting for the place to open, actually. Mm-hmm. He's leaning against the wall, and the guy opens the door, you know, with his got a big metal hunk of something to keep the door open, prop the door open, and uh, you know, he sort of side-eyes Llewellyn as he strolls in. 
Um, so, I mean, you want to you want to talk about this? Yeah, there's just I, I think it's actually like a, a like an, a tank or of some sort to hold the prop the door open. Yeah, and something yeah, like that. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. this is where Llewellyn will go in. and He's getting the uh, 12 gauge shotgun from the the clerk that's working there. Gets him a wallet of uh, shells and everything. The scene I like, which is another comic relief scene is he goes over to the like the sporting goods section and he talks to the and you see it it cuts right away and it goes to the uh, clerk there he says tent poles you already got the tent yeah something like that well you tell me the model i'll order your tent now nah, forget it i want to order a tent well what kind of tent the kind with the most poles <laughs> It's just a really quick, like, 15-second thing, and the guy's, like, perplexed. Yeah. Like, you just want the polls? Yeah. Yeah, I want the kind no, of the most polls. Like, you yeah. can watch this as a comedy if you yeah. want. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so yeah, so then we, we, we see Llewellyn head back to the motel, and there's a quick scene of him uh, creating the sawed-off. He's sawing off the barrel mm-hmm. of the shotgun uh, to make it, you know, less wieldy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because he's going to have to do some quick shooting coming up. Yep. Um, and then we are back at the, the motel, back at the Regal. Um, he, Llewellyn walks in and asks for a second room. <laughs> and he wants to look at a map of the, of the place because he wants to pick the room. Uh, so he decides to select a room directly behind, on the other side of the motel, directly behind his room. Um, we now see Anton. He's driving through Del Rio. He's got the tracker on the passenger seat, and it starts to ping. It's picking up a signal. Uh, from the money case, um, it guides him right up to the Regal, and you know he does some quick back and forth in the parking lot to to zone in, hone in on the room, so he knows exactly where the money is now. Um, he gets his own room. There's no interaction with the clerk. I guess they had enough of that, but you know <laughs> we see him in his hotel, and it's very cool. And Alex, I saw this in your notes, so if you want to you want to touch on what he does, what what Anton does entering his room. Yeah, so Anton will get. So we've found out that Llewellyn is in room 138 where he has hidden the satchel up in the uh, vent. So he got the uh, additional room that is um, on the other side of the building instead of next to it. And Anton's a couple doors down. So when Anton opens the door, he turns on the light, surveys the room, then he proceeds to shut the light off and close the door. It goes black for a second. He then immediately opens the door in a more hasty manner. He turns on the light as fast as he can. And this is, I think this helps him get a feel for entering room 138 down the hall because, as we know, motels and hotels, the rooms are pretty cookie cutter. So he's kind of getting a feel for the room, you know, and um, they're in different rooms. But um, uh, as far as this, uh, it's the closest they've been to sharing the screen as well. So we're about 47 minutes into the movie. And Eric, you'd be a good person for this. Have you noticed that the three main characters aren't on screen ever together? Yes. And, yep, and in. yeah, totally. Again, I'm noticing it now. At the time, I'm so engaged in this story. And when they meet, it feels like this is what I've been waiting for the whole movie. I mean, again, only 47 minutes. Yes. In. But right. to have them separated just by that wall. I mean, I'm on the edge of my seat, man. Like as a first time viewer, I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, so so Llewellyn's going, uh, Anton, sorry, Anton's going through, he's checking the structure, you'll see him press his hands around the wall to check kind of for the thickness of it, which comes in handy later on, Um, so he's kind of just giving a surveillance of the room, back to you. Exactly, exactly, so uh, quick cut to Llewellyn, he is taping the tent poles together, 
and he's cutting some wire hangers to make a hook. So we kind of know he's, he's setting up a pole to reach into the vent on his side of the room and, and hook the, the money bag and bring it to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it's cool. I, I get, and again, it shows his preparedness. He was thinking about this from the start because that's why he pushed that back. It wasn't just to hide the bag, but it was to get it positioned to where he could get it from somewhere else if he needed to. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, we see Anton preparing his tank uh, gadget, and uh, we watch him walk down you know, the outdoor hall towards the room, uh, and he's taking his shoes off because, again, boots. it's the boots. I apologize. Yes, the boots. <laughs> he takes the boots off because he doesn't want to, you know, we, we, we come to know that he does not like getting blood on him, and uh, he doesn't want to ruin his boots. He loves those mm-hmm. boots. So yep. he's in his socks. He's walking down the walkway. Great um, scene. Yeah. He, you know, he's got the he's got the tank in his right hand and he's got his shotgun with the silencer on the front, which I read was specifically made for this movie because they didn't really exist. Mm-hmm. There are silences for shotguns, but nothing that looks as menacing as the Cohen brothers wanted. <laughs> so they had it made. Um so that was cool. Yeah. And uh he you know, he does the same trick again, you know, his MO is the same. He uses his, his air tank to blow out the lock cylinder um he blasts through the door gets in to find the the, this three cartel members in the room so we know Llewellyn wasn't in there I mean the first time I saw it I fully expected the room to be empty and then maybe a cat and mouse trying to get the money Mm -hmm. but you know there's a guy sitting on the bed and instantly he is he is shredded I mean you know Anton doesn't blink um he gets the other guy was in the closet was he it yeah, there's a... Well, I think... No, in the bathroom. I, yes, there's a person in the bathroom. No, yep. Right. Well, the With second him comes out right, of the bathroom. Yeah. He gets him, shot. and then uh, he, you know, starts to survey the room. He heads into the bathroom and sees a third guy in the shower mm-hmm. basically shitting himself. He doesn't want to die. No, um, he, did, he did shoot, as I mentioned, when he was yeah. checking for the thickness of the wall. He did right. shoot into that, like, walk-in closet thing just as kind of a precautionary, like... If you're in there, you're not happy yeah, right now. Yeah, because you know? if, if I was going to hide somewhere, that's where I'd hide. So, yeah, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And, and uh, at, at this point, Eric has paid for the whole seat, but it was yeah. a waste because he's on the edge of it. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Yeah. And you know what? This scene, it, as, as exhilarating as that was, the thing that jumped out to me the most is we've talked about how Llewellyn is so uh, careful, you know, mm-hmm. in, in everything yes. that he does. When this scene wraps up and he kills everybody and sits down on the bed, um, Anton peels his socks off and just throws them yeah, uh-huh. in, exactly. into the room. And, it, yep. and that jumped out at me as like, man, this yeah. guy just does not give a fuck. Uh-huh. Yeah, he doesn't. But again, it goes to, so we'll take a step back quick. And, you know, when he finds the guy in the shower, all right, and he draws the shower curtain when shooting him because he doesn't want blood on him. Uh-huh. He's repulsed by blood getting on him. Uh-huh. So he pulls the shower curtain to shoot the guy. So that protects him. And then when he sits down on the bed and realizes his socks are blood-soaked, he rips them off, as Eric described, and throws them because he needs to get them away from his skin. He doesn't want blood on his skin. Um, I'm going to go on a limb and say that forensics wasn't where it is nowadays. No, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, in South, in in West Texas, yeah. They're probably still not on it because it's Texas, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They can't even keep their power. Everybody pile on Texas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> don't mess with texas 
You know, they say everything's bigger in Texas, but I visited there once and went to the first rest area, and that was mine. <laughs> the only thing bigger in Texas is Texas itself. It takes 100 hours to cross the state. Um, is the ego so yeah so so anton is he's he's coming down from 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 the adrenaline he looks up to see the vent and you know he's a smart guy he he gets up there he takes a dime out of his pocket and because uh, he's always got the coins mm-hmm. takes a dime out of his pocket and uh you know unscrews the vent and you know by this point llewellyn's gotten the money out of there so he doesn't see the case but he sees the scrape marks which i noticed the first time i watched the movie when Llewellyn put it there, that, yeah, you're hiding it, but come on. You know, there's dust in the vents, and you see mm-hmm. the, the rub marks through the dust. What, what I want to know is, why yeah, is he I know. It I, in that case? Yeah, why it's a cases? little weird. He doesn't take it out. He never takes the money out in, in full. Um, and yeah. he knows there's $2 million. 2.4. But he hasn't oh, okay. counted the money? So it's 2.4. Um, right. Yeah, that's... Like, but he hasn't counted. The well, money, I think he goes he by the top. He's money. looking at the 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 stacks and he does some. Who knows? Um, 